Episode 191 of Wheel Bearings is packed. We're driving the 2021 Mazda 3 Turbo, Toyota Highlander, Lincoln Nautilus Black Label, and 2022 Acura MDX. We talk Mazda MX-30, GM adding cloud maps to OnStar, Brian Swanson, chief engineer of the Chrysler Pacifica, talks vans with us, and we even answer some of your questions. Plus, we finish with an important announcement about the show. That's all in there on episode 191 of Wheel Bearings. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from, uh, uh, we should talk about that later, <laughs> um, but carry on. <laughs> I'm Sam Abuol-Samit from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Nicole Wakeland from, what do I do this week? How about uh, Last Napa week was Auto Know-how. I Tell. So. Auto I Tell. So how about Napa Know How blog? How's that? Works. Perfect. Napa Know How. Napa Know How. <laughs> yeah. I just love the ads. So like, we're going to punch you in the face for 30 seconds. <laughs> Buy parts. What is Napa parts Know How anyway? Hey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Read my stuff and you'll find out. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, how do we get to it? Where's the link? Napa Know How blog. That's literally it. Napa Know How blog. Like you can type that. Okay. Dot com on the end. Do you need to say that in 2021? Right. <laughs> yeah, we're good. All right. So carrying on, this is uh, wheelbearings.media. Um, I don't know what you get. It's, it's actually napanowhow.napaonline.com. Well, if you just type Napa Know How and oh, use your it? Google okay. Foo, you will find right. it. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I did. And it came to napanowhow.napaonline.com. But it got right. you there. En- enough of that nonsense. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Uh, well, let's talk about cars. What are we driving? Um, who wants to go first this week? I'll, I'll go, go first. Okay, okay. fine. Oh, we got a tie. Fine. No. You can go first, Sam. <laughs> so I had the Mazda 3 Turbo, the 2021 Mazda 3 Turbo. And, and uh, uh, I don't know, about a month or two ago, talked about the Mazda CX-30 Turbo. This is basically the same thing, but lower and with less rear quarter visibility. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's my personal preference. I mean, I like the, the CX-30 but I am a low car person, not a crossover-ish type person. It's got the lovely Mazda 2.5 liter turbo Skyactiv G engine with 250 horsepower, about 270 foot pounds of torque. This is a great car. I mean, I, I remember driving the last Mazda Speed 3, you know, which had roughly about the same performance or same output, but it was rather an uncivilized beast. If you ever want to know what torque steer is, just find somebody with a Mazda Speed 3 and take that for a little spin. You know, just get it on a straight piece of road and then stand on the on the gas and drop the clutch and, you know, hold on to that steering wheel really, really tight. You know, otherwise you're going to be in the ditch. Or if it just revs up when you drop the clutch and nothing happens, you now need a clutch. Well, there's that too. Yeah. Yeah. Or a half shaft. Uh, or a half yeah. shaft. Things will happen. I've, I've had that happen. I've, I've, I've actually had a half shaft snap on me. It was On a personal it, car or no, a it, it was No, it was on a, a development vehicle back like oh, 30 yeah. years ago. It was that W body with the with the small block. No, no, no. It was, it was actually something we called that was nominally called the Tora van. Uh, but um, most of us that worked on it actually called it the Turdo van. Um, it was one of the early development mules for what eventually became the Ford Windstar. They they took um, 
Dodge Caravan body shells. Uh, Roush built up half a dozen of these for Ford, one of which we had at Kelsey Hayes for, for ABS development. And they modified it. They, they spliced in about six inches ahead of the firewall because they put in the Ford 3.8 liter V6. For uh, that In those days, you know, Chrysler was using the Mitsubishi 3 liter V6, which was a 60 degree engine. The, the Ford V6 was much wider. So they had to stretch yeah, that, the nose. That Essex V6 is a and, 90 degree. And, you know, I remember the first time I saw this thing, it was kind of weird looking because the track wasn't quite right. And, you know, they also stuffed in the instrument panel from a Taurus. Um, you know, it had, it had a bunch of Taurus bits on it. But anyway, I digress. Right off the cliff every week. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, the torque steer problem that was endemic in the Mazda Speed 3 is not at all an issue in the new Mazda 3 Turbo, because among other things, the Mazda 3 Turbo is standard with all-wheel drive, which makes it much more balanced. You're spreading that that power output amongst the four, uh, all four wheels instead of only to the wheels that also have to do the, the directional control. And I think that's, you know, for, for cars like this, that's generally a superior option. There are some companies that have done a remarkably good job with putting that much power down through the front wheels, most notably Honda on the Civic Type R, 307 horsepower through and front wheel drive. It's it's amazing. But I really like the, the Mazda 3 Turbo for all the reasons that we've talked about before, wh- why I like these modern Mazdas. It's not the boy racer type of car that the, the, the Mazda Speed was. It's a very grown up, but quick, nimble agile car. I like the way it looks, although, you know, I personally think that all of them should be painted soul crystal red. None of this oh, is gray color. The um, red is so pretty. It is. <laughs> you know, the, the, the poly metal gray metallic, you know, just, it, it loses the, the, the best parts of the car's design, the shape. But, um, but other than that, so you you had the, you had the hatch or the sedan? The hatch. I think the turbo is only available in the hatch. Only in the hatch? Okay. And, you know, personally, you know, I think any car, you know, that size or smaller, I would always recommend going with a hatchback instead of a sedan uh, if it's available, because, you know, having that big opening in the back, you know, it gives you so much more flexibility when, you know, when you've got sedans of that size, you typically only have 12, 13 cubic feet of cargo space in the back. And then, you know, you can fold down the back seats for longer objects. But the the problem they have, because all modern sedans have this fastback coupe-like profile, you inevitably end up with a very small trunk opening. So even if there's a reasonable Mm -hmm. volume inside, there's actually a very small opening to get stuff in and out of it. But with a hatchback, that that problem is no longer there. I ran into that. I discovered that with our S60s, and I invented an entire new class of swears. <laughs> oh, did you? Um, trying to put the, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of portmanteaus, just you know, mashing all kinds of other vile words together because it, it's really frustrating. Yeah. You're like, there's space in there. I know there is. Just get it in there. Yeah. Right. I can't, can't fit anything through here. So yeah, uh, the hatch is definitely the way to go. So, in terms of competition this seems like a really natural gti competitor it, it is you know the the one thing it lacks relative to the gti is the option for a manual transmission and and also i misspoke on the output it's actually 227 horsepower but 310 foot pounds of torque so more torque a little less power than what i stated earlier which is actually fine people buy horsepower but they don't, you drive torque and that's that's really true and especially in this case you know it it feels quick but six-speed automatic only 
but it's a great automatic transmission. It's very smooth shifting. It does have paddles, you know, so you can do the, the manual control on there and it's very responsive. And with all that torque, you know, the six speed by modern standards, the six speed is relatively low, <laughs> relatively few number of ratios, but it's, you know, this thing's got so much torque and it's so responsive. Uh, there's not really any turbo lag. And there's no torque holes in there. So you can have wider spaced gear ratios. It's not an issue for this thing. So uh, I really enjoyed driving this thing. You know, I took it out and took a nice long drive in the countryside and just had a lot of fun tossing it through corners. It's very nimble, very responsive. Even on, you know, when I got it, it still had uh, winter tires on it. It didn't have, they didn't put the summer tires or all season tires back on it yet. And even with the Blizzax on there, it still felt really good on, on dry pavement. All of the other things that we've been saying about modern Mazdas over the last year or two or three is there, you know, it's a very premium feeling interior. I think a really well laid out interior. It's not cluttered. I wouldn't call it minimalistic, but it's, it's very well organized. And there's not too much stuff. There's no touchscreen. Some people don't like that. Uh, but Rebecca is no longer with us. So, I, well, I'm um, taking her place with that. I hate not having a touch screen. It drives me bonkers. I want a I, touch screen. I, I do like the central controllers. So we will. Uh, so I think with this system in particular, it makes you frustrated that there's not a touch screen because it's not intuitive to use. It's frustrating. So you, you default to like, I just want the thing. I just to want to be able to touch the screen, screen to make it work. No. And I, and it's, you know, I know that you, you they, they said at one of the Mazda program once that, you know, it's a certain amount of time and it's relatively brief that people get very, very comfortable using that infotainment. It becomes intuitive and we're in a car for a week and then we swap it off for another brand that works totally differently. Theoretically, that's why I don't get used yeah. to it and don't like it. That's, but I've been in a lot of Mazdas and I think that in every single one I get it, it's not like I've only ever had one for one week. I've had many, many weeks in them and I still, I still sit there. I'm like, how yeah. I just want to, I just want to turn the volume up. What yeah, am I doing? It's, it's, I mean, it's I think little some knob of the, right next a, to the big, the bigger controller. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, it's a little bit of um, PR department victim blaming where they're like, Oh, you don't like our stuff. Cause you just don't own the car. Yeah. And it's like, well, Kind of yes, but kind of no. Kind of yes, kind of no. Like, is... yeah, I know I would get more used to it if I drove it every single day for a month, but it, it's, yeah. I still hate it. <laughs> I still, I get used to it and like, and know how to use it and still hate it. Exactly. So I hate this thing, but I at least know how to use it now. <laughs> well, right. re regardless of how you feel about the, the central controller, you know, this does still have the other issue that um, Rebecca had pointed out, which was if you're using Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, it with almost every other vehicle, pretty much every other vehicle I've tried. When you plug in your phone to use the phone projection system, you still have access to the embedded voice recognition system. <clears throat> and typically the way it works is just tap on the voice button on the steering wheel and you know just give it a quick tap and you get the, the factory uh, voice recognition system. If you do a long press on it, then it'll pull up either Google Assistant or Siri, uh, depending on which type of phone you're using. In the case of the Mazda, they made the decision to, once you plug in your phone, to disable the embedded voice recognition system. You know, Rebecca highlighted the issue of, you know, if you want to use Google Maps, for example, but you also still want to listen to satellite radio, you can listen to satellite radio. You can, you know, jump out of the Google, uh, the Google Maps interface and get to the satellite radio interface, but you can't do that by voice anymore because Google Assistant doesn't have access to the embedded stuff in the vehicle like satellite radio. So if you're listening to Sirius XM and you want to change the channel, 
If your phone isn't plugged in, you can hit the voice button and tell it to change to whatever channel. But you can't do that when your phone is plugged in. And that is still an issue. Mazda explained to Rebecca, you know, we wanted to keep it consistent. We didn't want to have the multiple competing voice control systems running at the same time. Uh, that one, I think, is perhaps uh, I would see as more of an issue for some people. I personally don't listen to satellite radio, so it doesn't it doesn't bother me. But I did try it out just to see what happens, and uh, you know, it's I think you know people that that have that use case are going to have an issue with that. But aside from that, just driving the car is fantastic. They're available now. It's not the most affordable version of the the Mazda three, as you might expect. The one I had was the the turbo with premium plus package, all wheel drive. It priced out to. $34,820, including the, the $945 delivery fee, which for a compact hatchback seems on the high end. But then that again, is, that is all the money for all the car. Yeah, I mean, like you know, when when you compare it to other vehicles, you know, uh, you know, similar segment and you know, similar performance level like a GTI um, or a, a Civic Si or something like that. You're going to be in that same price point. They're all getting up into that mid $30,000 range now. Mazda has done a good job of making their vehicles feel more premium as, you know, they try to go for, you know, a little bit higher margins because they're they're not the highest volume uh, brand out there. And I think that they've really succeeded in that. And, you know, the rest of the industry has, at least price-wise, has followed them into that same space over the last couple of years. Uh, and but I think in in most cases they don't feel as premium as a Mazda does at you know what is roughly the same price point. Uh, you know I think that this is definitely one worth considering if you want a quick compact hatch and you don't necessarily feel like you need a manual transmission. But you know if that's the case, what is wrong with you? Um, but you know if you if you can live with an automatic transmission, I think this is one you should really drive and, and consider. Yeah, I liked it. I, I and you know what you were saying about the the sort of not luxury car, but kind of sort of luxury car. I think Mazda does an unbelievable job of that. Their cars always feel like you're getting into something, even though you're saying like the price is creeping up. They always feel like they should be more than what you're paying when you just take a look at the interior, whether it's the base trim or the, the top trims. I the interiors of their cars are much like that red paint are beautiful and always feel very upscale. Yeah. I mean, if you took this, you know, and you compared it against, uh, you know, an Audi A3 or a BMW two series, this feels in most respects, you know, like it's, it's in that same class with those, mm -hmm. you know, those, those brands that we think of as premium brands. Right. Well, to be honest, Mazda has sort of captured the spirit of those older BMWs to a large degree. You know, they drive, with that kind of uh, verve that BMWs don't necessarily all drive with anymore. Uh, and they, they feel premium, like you said, you know, so they, they just, they have that, that character that we all kind of fell in love with back in the, the eighties, nineties and early two thousands, BMWs and Audis, they just feel like those cars. And so that's really attractive uh, from a driver perspective. They're fun to drive and they're nice places to be. Um, where I think BMW in particular has gone, I, I don't know where they've gone. <laughs> Their cars have gotten big. It's, and it's all, it's all about the grill and, now. Oh yeah. my gosh, um, the grill. Which, like, look, the grill is fine. And no, I'm it's, sure it's, it's not. Giant, it's like these giant beaver teeth on the front it's, of the car. It's, it's not fine, Dan. <laughs> it's not I, fine. I mean, 
I, there's only a couple of models and like very specific models of their lines. You know, like there's a very particular three series that's going to drive really well. The rest of them are going to be like, uh, okay, this essentially it's their high volume car and it's not really distinctive other than the badge. And they do that for each model they make. You know, there's, there's a couple of really special ones that still have it. And then the rest of them are just like, eh. And that's disappointing where what we've seen with Mazda is like, they've sort of flipped it, right? Like where every car has that special thing. You don't have to buy the most extreme to get the fun. And I think that's what, what I, I think about. Mazda, it's yeah. like, they all stay, you know, they're all sort of having that luxury vibe, that sort of fun to drive thing. Somehow Mazda's managed to shake this sort of stodginess almost that, that like BMW and Audi have, have embraced whether they meant to or not lately, you know, yeah, Mazda is yeah. still the fun one. Mazda's like, yeah, we look good. Yeah. We have a nice interior. Yeah. We're fun to drive, but we're not full of ourselves to the point that we're like, we're a luxury brand and we're fancy. Yes. Like we're having fun with it, which makes them different. Why so serious? They don't use the <laughs> zoom, zoom tagline anymore, but they that. still, their cars are still infused with that. With a zoom, zoom. ethos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and just like, yeah. you know, I'm looking at uh, the BMW website right now, you know, a 228i <laughs> front wheel drive, 228i, you know, same performance, 228 horsepower, Starts at thirty five thousand seven hundred. The all wheel drive, you know, which is comp- compar- more comparable to this, starts at thirty eight thousand. And you know, similar for the Audi A three. You know, they're they're similar sized vehicles. You know, similar uh, performance levels. And that you know, they're they're starting where this one is is ending mm-hmm. up. And so I think right. that you know, from that perspective, you know, if you're looking for something in that class, this is really a car that you should be considering. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the price handoff seems about what I would expect going from a volume brand to a premium brand. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. The thing with with with, Vol- with I guess with Audi is there's a Volkswagen complement. You could you could look at a Golf, but I, you know the the Mazda three and the Golf, they're competitors, but they also have different characters, and they're both good. The Mazda feels nicer in in some. The Mazda ways. feels like they, premium. They, the Volkswagen feels fun, sort of. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and the Volkswagen feels. Um, premium in a different way like it's it's not like luxury premium it's more like um just solidity it doesn't have the elegance of a mazda mazda's a little bit more elegant and we're just gonna keep reaching for adjectives (laughs) go go drive them you'll figure it out let us know nicole what'd you have i had the toyota highlander so it was like toyota avalon one week now one it was toyota highlander which has already left my driveway and i should let you know i know that it has left my driveway while we're recording because a Hellcat has replaced it. I can't see it, but I can, can literally hear it. hear it drive up in the background. I'm like, wait, okay, they swap cars. It always cracks me up when the 90-year-old guys drop off I know, the It Hellcat. probably was. Like I said, I can't see it, but I'm like, that. that's a dulcet tones of a Hellcat in my driveway. Um, so I had a Highlander, uh, which, you know, So which Hellcat are you getting? Uh, the Durant, yeah. Sam's <laughs> just like, whatever. We're going next next week. We're all Wait about a minute, the Highlander. Hellcat Durango, like that's that's a Highlander competitor. Yeah, two, Direct two, competitors, know, the same up, exact up, person is looking up, for that up, car. Yeah. yeah, two upper mid-sized three-row SUVs. There's not much difference right. between the two. Just take yeah. your pick. Yeah, very little One difference. just happens to have uh, a proper engine and drive the correct wheels. Yeah. That's all. Um, so Highlander, <laughs> we'll talk about the Hellcat in my driveway next week. Um so, you know, it's funny where I had the Avalon right from Avalon to this, 
it was interesting because I like I like the Avalon, but it's kind of like it's a sedan. It's not really exciting. The Highlander does a really good job of being a three row SUV. Like it, I would be more inclined to buy that in that segment than I would the Avalon in its segment. Um, it just has a nice interior. It's comfortable. It's roomy. It rides really smoothly. Um, it's not outrageously priced. It can get expensive. It can. Um, well, they all can but, get expensive. Like how right, much? That's what I was how say. much do you want to spend? Like if you want to just get a base one and you just want a car to do the job. Now mine had a lot of stuff. I had to look at my little Maroni. Forty eight thousand two hundred and fifty eight dollars. So Is it wasn't it hybrid or the? Uh, no, this was the this was the limited all wheel drive that I had. Okay. Um, yeah, so you're going to pay that for for anything that basic size in that class with that kind of equipment, like that. Exactly. So it's not, so you get a lot of car for it. It's not, it's not a fancy interior. It's definitely not like, you know, you're driving, you know, it's Toyota. How's that? Uh, But it's still, it feels better than the Avalon. The Avalon sort of had this sort of almost like I'm trying to be upscale and fancy and I'm not really getting it. The Highlander is like, Nope, I have room for all these people. I need to work for your family. I need to be comfortable when you do that giant road trip this summer and have room for all of the stuff that you're going to throw in the back with the kids. And it does a great job of it. So I, I like driving the Highlander. I thought it was, I think it's a, I think it's a good choice. Toyota doesn't mess around when they want to own a market, they own the market, you know, in terms of just making a product that is aggressively priced and well contented. And that's, that's the Highlander and the RAV4. That's their game right now. I'm I'm, I'm curious what you think about the, uh, the design of the new Highlander. What, what part of it? The inside, the outside, the the outside. I, did you not like it? I'm looking, I thought it was fine. I was, I I didn't have an issue with it. I don't, I don't dislike it, but I, I actually prefer the previous generation. Really? See, now I thought it looked good. I, I like this sort of more, I hate to use, everyone calls it aggressive, but the way they've done the grill, that there's a little bit more going on on the front of the car. It doesn't just look like this boring box. Um, it gives it some personality. I, I yeah, feel like no. there's a point where they didn't want to give SUVs real personality. It's like, you are a family car. You will be functional. You will do your thing and you will blend in at carpool. And I like that they're trying <laughs> to make them kind of stand out a little bit, that they have some personality that you can have. I, I, I like it. Why don't you like it? It's not that I don't like it. When I first saw it and you know, now every time I see it, the thing that strikes me about it, it's almost like they tried to apply Supra styling cues to a three row crossover. Is that right? Not necessarily. I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. And I, like I say, I'm not saying I dislike it. Okay. It's just that I, I personally, for this kind of vehicle, <clears throat> I'm more partial to the look of the previous generation, which was a little more boxy, a little more chunky looking, you know, a little more truckish. Yeah. Obviously design is always a matter of, of personal preference. The, the look of the last, the previous generation, I thought seemed a little more integrated, you know, on this one, you know, for such a large vehicle, you know, having these sort of organic flowing curves on it, it it just seems a little incongruous to me. I, you know what, the reason I like it is I I get what you're saying, Sam, about the sort of boxier styling of the previous version, um, which has its own appeal in this sort of like rugged, tough kind of thing. I like that they're making these big SUVs be something sporty looking. You can only be so sporty. You're, you're carrying, you know, seven, eight people. You're a big, great, big piece of, you know, metal, but you know, sometimes you want that car, but you just want it to, you want it you want to have the family car, but you want it to have a little bit of fun and personality. You can't buy a Supra and put, you know, your kids in the back of it. So if you have to buy something that's bigger, okay, it's not a Supra, 
but it kind of sort of looks like one and it makes me happy when I see that, you know, so it, it gives the illusion of a sportiness to something that is not really sporty or, you know, that, that kind of car, it gives you that little taste of that when you're at a point in your life where you can't really have it. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. How is the inside? Though you said it was just definitely a Toyota, so does the limited have because they offer it with like quilted leather? Yeah, it, no, the stuff. inside is beautiful. You know what? It was funny because I heated the JBL speakers that were mounted on the A pillar in the Avalon had that piano black that I was railing against yep. last time. These were just the same color as the headliner, sort of like a cream color, so exact same style. And I'm like, look at that! You don't have this giant like piano black thing like stuck there, looking odd. Uh, so I think the interior is better on this one. It still had. It was upscale in a different way. It was just like quality materials and it didn't try to be, it doesn't try to be flashy. Like I feel like when they, with this one, they're trying to make it comfortable and look good and not make you feel like you're just getting some, you know, utilitarian toaster to take the kids around in, but it doesn't go over the top. Like we're going to put shiny black everywhere just to make you think you're in something fancy. It actually looks more cohesive to me and it works and it's super comfortable. It's a really comfortable vehicle to drive. Rebecca's biggest thing was always, there's no place to put my phone. Um, this has like a little cubby for the phone and the armrest. It does. It has a little armrest cubby situation going on. Um, so yeah, there's spots to put your phone. There are spots like wherever you need to put, whatever you have in your hands, when you sit down, there is a spot to put it. Like there's so much random little cubby storage, which is honestly perfect for a family. Cause you walk in the car and you could have your keys in your wallet. And maybe you got your phone cause it fell out of your pocket and your kid handed you something. And you're like trying to sit down with all this junk in your hands. There's a spot right. to put it all right away. So that's why I love the big cup holders right there. <laughs> yeah, they, they're not <laughs> really for cups. Cool. They're for all of the stuff. No. Your kids hand you a dump right there. <laughs> yeah. I find a lot of Bobby pins after dance class. Uh, hair ties. Yeah. Mine were always full of yep. hair ties, the random hair ties. <laughs> um, but th- I think that's the thing with a, a family vehicle as well that, it tends to get missed is uh, the thoughtfulness of the design and how it just integrates with your life is something that's hard to catch in a review unless you you are a family style of reviewer, right. I guess. <laughs> you know, like um, if you've got kids and the dog and you're using it to do school pickups and all, all that stuff, like all of a sudden you're finding all of those things like, oh, they thought about this. Somebody was here first and they gave it, you know, third row charging ports and cup holders or um, you know, they, they gave it, uh, just like you said, places to put your stuff. Um, that feels really good. How is it in that respect? Does it feel like if you climb into that third row, is it's going to be like a penalty? Or like you know, I think it? the penalty, the third row is a little bit of a penalty box, no matter which vehicle you get yeah. into, but on the scale of penalty boxes, this one isn't that bad. I mean, you can get back there. My, uh, daughter was back there. She's a teenager. She's like 17. So, you know, not a little kid. She climbed back there. It wasn't horrible to get back there. Um, it's comfortable. I don't know that as an adult, I'd want to do a road trip in the third row, but if you were taking me on a shorter trip, certainly it's not something you feel like you have to be a contortionist to get back there. And you don't feel like you're being punished over every bump. Um, it has a really smooth suspension system for a great big SUV. So it's comfortable. And you do feel like even when you're there, there's still places to put stuff. You know, you don't feel like when you sit in the third row, suddenly you're just sitting there with everything on your lap because there's not a single place or any room. So there's a little bit of room for stuff. Um, but I know, I think it's a thoughtfully designed car. I think it's, you can see the utility for families. You can see how easy it is to live with as a family. I think they, you know, when they talk about cargo space in these, everyone's like, yeah, 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 you need stuff. You need room for your kids stuff. But what you're saying, Dan, when you actually have kids, you realize how often you're running in and out of the car and suddenly everyone has a book bag and she's got her stuff for dance class and he's got his sports stuff. And even as they get older, they're walking in the car with all this stuff. And if you don't have a place for that, 
it's chaos when you go to get out of the car because suddenly everyone's looking for their things and you don't know where you put anything. Um, so I think it's, I think thoughtfully designed is a good way to describe the interior. Yeah. I would say the third, you know, the third row of this, this one is definitely better than for example, the Explorer, um, you know, which is a similar sized vehicle on the outside, but you know, that third row is definitely a lot tighter in the Explorer than it is in, in this one or you know, the Kia Telluride or um, Hyundai Palisade, you know, similar, they're, they're more similar to this one. Yeah. No, the Palisade and the, the Telluride is like my favorite three row SUV at the moment. I love that thing. Um, but yeah, those all, those are all vehicles that you could ride in the third row. You can use all the seats for the family. It's not just one of those like, oh, I got to bring a couple extra kids. I guess I'll use the third row and torture them, putting them back there. You had to use that third row every day your family's that big, if your life is that busy, you could do it. And it's not going to be like a debate about who gets stuck back there this time. You know, it's not, it's not torture to be back there. And it, they do do a good job. The Explorer always surprises me because I feel like it looks huge to me on the outside. Like it looks bigger to me than every other car. And then you get in that third row. It's like, what happened? You know, <laughs> where'd all the space go? <laughs> where'd that all go on from the outside? <laughs> There's so many cars now um, are just so chunky on the outside. And then you get in, you're like, there's just nothing here. Right. Like you're like, where and did that go? Is it, it's like a reverse TARDIS. It's like smaller on the inside. Yeah. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I uh, reverse TARDIS. That's excellent. I, uh, I was on the highway the other day and I saw a new CRV behind in a first generation pilot. And it looked like the CRV ate the pilot. It's just like, it's so much bigger. And just like physically on the outside, it's so much larger. And the pilot was never small. Mm -hmm. so it's just kind of one of those yeah, things. There's like, somebody in my neighborhood who's got a first generation CRV. And it, yeah, you're right. It's amazing how small it looks by comparison to a modern one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so delicate. Yeah. So Avalon, no. Highlander, yes. Correct. Is that, yep. Is that fair? That's fair. Okay. So, and what did you have for the uh, the powertrain? You just had the V6? I had the V6, right? yeah. Yeah, 295 horsepower, 263 pound-feet of torque. So it's not something that's going to win your race, but when you hit the gas, it moves. It never feels like you're driving something as big as you're driving, which I think is a big deal in these larger vehicles. You don't want to feel like you're driving a tractor trailer and you're sort of waiting for the car to keep, you know, to catch up with you and get moving, especially when you're on highway driving, like there's nothing worse than trying to merge into highway traffic and feeling like the car is not quite ready to come with you yet. Um, and yeah. this, yeah, you never get that. It's, it's, it's a responsive powertrain and it's easy and it's quiet. You don't have all this noise coming in from, you know, from the engine into the passenger compartment. So it's, it's decent. It's good. I had a couple of cars. Um, I think last time I talked about the uh, 2022 Acura MDX that had kind of just arrived on the heels of the Mach-E. So I wanted to spend more time with it and be fair to it after the Mach-E spoiled me with all that electric motor torque. It's not as powerful as the electric motor in the Mach-E regardless. So it's going to lose in the EV kind of acceleration war. Um, but it's that Honda V6 is a good engine. It sounds great. Uh, it's plenty powerful. It does like to rev, which really fits, I think, the, the Acura attitude. You know, the MDX is now they've redesigned it for 2022. So it's it's the flagship of the brand. And it really looks like a flagship. They gave it a double wishbone front suspension and so the chassis can keep up it was really really fun to drive i actually really quite liked its, its ride and handling which you know fits with a, a sporty snarly v6 and if you actually want more power you can get the type s which i didn't have but sounds just right i don't not, think that they've actually got, released the type s yet it's not quite yet right so it's it's gonna come at the end of the summer but it's coming so you can wait for it uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> it basically takes that V6 and makes it twin turbo or single. T- anyway, it's turbocharged. It, it's it's actually a different it engine altogether. It, it's a V6, Is but it really? it, yeah, it's it's a it's an all new V6 because this the 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 current three five. Uh, Honda Acura 3.5, you know, has been around for a while. And the, the Type S engine that, that's in the TLX now uh, and is coming to the MDX is a, is a completely new engine. Even better, you get the, the benefit of a brand new engine. And they, like, they've done a lot of work on the platform uh, that this is on. It's really stiff. It, it feels really good. I, I definitely felt like there was that sporting kind of ethos that went through the whole car. Uh, and and makes it really pleasant from a driver perspective. I, I think that that does kind of ding the MDX a little bit in terms of the family car mission that it's probably going to be asked to serve. It's a little louder from you know road noise, uh, and it doesn't necessarily just settle down and and kind of be super easy to live with. It it settles fine, but like it always it just. I don't know. There's, it's always ready to go as well. It's just these are really weird sort of nebulous terms to try to describe it. I'm, I'm not sure the best way. To, it's it's always you know it's it's always sort of ready. You know, like it, it wants you to drive 95 miles an hour. <laughs> it feels good there. At 70, it's kind of like, come on, buddy, what are you doing? <laughs> I have not described that well, but uh, it's it's beautiful to look at. The interior materials are really nice. The infotainment is better than it has been in earlier uh, Hondas and Acuras. So they're getting there. Um, I, you know, I quite liked it overall. It's roomy, you know, it has more space than before. Um, and again, with, with three rows, it was super handy. Um, so it really, it does fulfill its mission. I think though it's mission because it's, it's accurate. And like, this is kind of what we were talking about with Mazda too, mm-hmm. where it's looking for its place, you know, um, so if you want just a straight up family vehicle version, go buy the pilot. Uh, but if you want something that's got a little bit of personality, that's what the MDX offers. And that personality has to be right for you. Um, you know, as, as somebody who likes to drive and, and likes sports cars, I really liked the way it rides and handles and, and is uh, sort of uh, you're getting all that tactile feedback through the wheel, which is really cool to have a car that has steering feel these days. Uh, and that could be off-putting to somebody who just wants the luxury SUV. Like it's not, it's not a cushy, super luxury SUV in that traditional smother the road sense. It's very comfortable. It's luxurious. The materials are nice, but it's also built atop something that is sporty. So it has, has a little bit of, of sport to it at all times. Um, so you ha- you got to kind of want that. And I, I think that it's great to have that option. Right. Well, I'm glad and I mean, that's consistent with the direction that Acura has been trying to go for the last couple of years. You know, a couple of years ago at the um, Detroit Grand Prix, I sat across from John Akeda, the head of Acura uh, at, uh, at dinner. And, you know, I asked him at the time, you know, what, what is Acura supposed to be? Cause I mean, they, they kind of lost their way for a long time, you know, back in the early days in the late eighties, when they launched, you know, it was, you know, kind of the sportier, more performance oriented version and more and more premium version of a Honda. But, you know, what, what did he want Acura to be now and going forward? And he said, you know, Acura is Honda's, you know, performance group, the performance division, which is why they've gone this direction with the TLX and bringing back 
Type S and and now with the MDX, you know, because there, there's already a lot of options, you know, if you want a premium, you know, large crossover, you know, that's more plush and, and soft. There's plenty of those out there. You can you can find those, you know, the accurate needs to find find its own way forward. Back in the day when you were saying what they used to be, my husband's first car he ever bought was an Acura Integra. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, which was fantastic, <laughs> but it was all about this like sporty two door, you know, manual transmission. It was fun to drive. It was the sporty car. It, that was the thing. That was why he wanted an Acura. And they did, I don't know, pivot in a direction that's kind of a giant question mark for a little while. And now they are coming back to that where it is a sportier vehicle. So the MDX puts all that together. I loved that the MDX. I, I would buy that in a heartbeat. I thought it was great. Cause I, but I also, like you were saying, Dan, I like to drive. I, I enjoy that sort of engaging driving experience. If you just want something that is beautiful and plush and comfortable, maybe you're not going to find that engaging driving. Maybe you'll find it, find it kind of taxing that you're more engaged right. with it. So it, it and, and I think, you know, yeah, that's, that's, I think exactly what I was thinking. And, but that's not necessarily bad. Like it's, I would rather have the car stake out its territory then try to be everything to everyone. Right. Because it's just, it's just going to be a mess. Yeah, because there's so many that are just like, here's a three row, have, you know, here's a big SUV, here's a big card, it's a luxury card, just go drive it, have fun. Um, we don't care how much you like driving. But to have this one say, no, we only want you in it. If you're someone who likes to drive, you have to enjoy driving, getting behind the wheel. You don't want just something that's an appliance. You want to enjoy the time that you're driving. Then this is the choice for yeah. you. And if that's not you, then there's plenty of other things to pick. I loved the, the the chassis tuning it over some sharp bumps it feels a little abrupt but overall like it was well tuned you know you throw it in sport mode i liked how you could select your dynamic modes so you could soften you could you could get the sporty steering with the softest setting um or you could put it in true sport mode and it has the digital cluster that changes so it, it it's very well thought out and it it really does uh perform well in especially in, in the handling side of things, which is really where we can have fun. I don't really, I like cars that, that will accelerate hard, but you can only use that up to a certain point, uh, you know, like on ramps and stuff. <laughs> like, um, so I would rather have this, like the slow car fast kind of thing um, where you're just doing the speed limit, but every curve is like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's uh, an opportunity to, to feel all of the components work together. Mm-hmm. Um right down to the contact patch on the tire. I, so I liked it quite a bit. Sam, I, I, I came to terms with the, the touch, with, with the, the TTI, trackpad. the interface. Yeah, I came to terms with that. I still not the greatest fan, but uh, I, I remember you, you talked about it and you actually like it too, don't I you? I do, yeah. I haven't had a chance to get into the TLX or the MDX yet, uh, but I, I did like it in the RDX. The trick is you have to remember it's not, it's not like your laptop touchpad. Yes, it is. It is very move different. Move the mouse and lift your finger. You've got to keep your finger down and like just move around and and then it it works and it has haptic feedback and stuff. I, I liked it. I, that, that was one where it takes. You know, I was talking about taking some time to figure out how an infotainment system works, and that was one where I genuinely felt okay. There's a little bit of a learning curve here, but if I just wasn't getting in and out of this every week, it would become very intuitive and easy, and would not make me want to bash it with a hammer. So I like yeah. this one. Like this is one I felt like living with it. You would totally get just how much you need to touch that. It became pretty intuitive, pretty fast. But I just think, you know, a week in a car is not enough time to not think about it. You're still thinking about it when you sit down. I think this week number two, you'd be like, whatever. And you'd have it. I, I liked yeah. how they did the new one. I, I did. Yeah. Well, and, and you probably had the exact same one. Uh, this one was red with a nice tan. And I want to say that we probably had the exact same one. I would bet. Probably did. 
we got to carve our initials under. I know somewhere we need to hide like a little thing, like what was here. Dan was here. Go, go in the glove compartment and hide. Right. Know, hide like stick the side it to the or... top of the glove box. You look underneath. A little Kilroy somewhere. Um, um, yeah, and and yeah. for for those listeners that don't remember, you know, when we've talked about the RDX in the past, this trackpad, you know, <clears throat> is different from like you know, like you mentioned, the computer, your typical laptop trackpad in that it's an absolute position. So, you know, if you put your finger in the center of it, you're going to see the cursor in the center of the screen. If you put your finger in the upper left-hand corner, you're going to see the cursor in the upper left-hand corner. And basically every point on that trackpad corresponds to the same point on the screen. So it, it, it's essentially a remote version of the the screen, you know, but because the screen is up higher, closer to your line of sight and kind of out of reach, it's, you get more precise control with it down there. Um, but, but it's not, you're not like tapping, you know, or, you know, scrolling along multiple times to get across the screen. Like for example, on the Lexus trackpad. Well, it has a nice little armrest too, a little hand yeah. rest. It's it like, does. it's metal and like leather wrapped. It's, it's, I, I quite liked it. I, so as a driver, the MDX is is your Huckleberry. You should definitely try that out. And then the next week after, and, and just briefly, um, they replaced it with a 2021 Lincoln Nautilus uh, black label, which tries to be more of that like all cars for all people kind of thing. Uh, so it has it has more power. It's got the 2.7. Uh, no, it actually has the three liter. Yes. Right? the three liter V6. Um, they don't have a name for the V6, just turbo direct ejection or yeah. something like that. But plenty of horsepower, so it goes really well. Um, and its chassis tuning is good for like uh, up to about seven tenths. So it feels good to drive until you overdo it, and then you realize you've overdone it. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of, yeah, exactly. It kind of gracefully lets you back off. Also, it's another one of those cars where you can select like sport steering with the luxury suspension, which is the, the sweet spot for that because the steering just gets this nice center uh you know good weight on center and it'll go track arrow straight down the highway real nicely uh the interior on the black label like just blows me away lincoln is doing very nice black label interiors and uh that was a fun car to have for a week even though it's old hardware you know the the nautilus is not new stuff and there are compromises for it i don't fit super comfortably in it um you know the steering wheel angle was a little off to me and stuff but i eventually again after a couple of days got into it and uh just overall that's still a good one i it's not not as uh not as sporty as the mdx but still fun to drive so. yeah and but you know again this lincoln you know decided okay we've got to find our own path as well you know a few years back and you know they decided that they weren't going to try to be direct competitors to you know bmw or you know, Acura for that matter. And which is, is smart because yeah. that Lincoln driver, like they don't, they don't want that anyway. Right. You know, like that's what I was saying. The MDX, like that kind of car, it's going to put them off anyway. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's the Lincoln more about coddling like, the, the occupants. Right. It's, and it's, you know, it's, you're surrounded by beautiful materials. It's quiet, like super quiet. It's very comfortable. It's not a mess to drive though. Dynamically, it's pretty good. Uh, again, until you, you push it and then you, you shouldn't be doing what, that anyway. What, what did you think of the, uh, the 13 inch? touchscreen with with sync four in that one it's responsive and intuitive um i think everybody's kind of getting to that point now and, and ford's been at it long enough with sync that sync four is, is pretty well refined things are easy-ish to find um and it's it's not hard to use um kind of like uh the latest what is it, you connect five mm-hmm. is coming as well that's going to be 
you know, Uconnect was great and they kind of broke it a little bit and now they're redeeming themselves. Um, Sync 4 is, it was good. I didn't have, like, it, it was seamless enough to use that I can't, I can't bitch about it. So that's, <laughs> I guess the is that the, the best rating for, how's the entertainment? I can't bitch about it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, com- compared to, compared to some of the things we said, and that's actually yeah. something we didn't talk about with the Highlander was the infotainment. Um, yeah, we shall never speak of the infant. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll leave Antune. Infotainment who shall not be named. We, no. we've, we've, we've complained about Antune enough over the years. <clears throat> we don't need to con- continue bashing that dead horse. The design of the interior really lends itself to that screen in the in the Nautilus. It's it's a widescreen format versus uh, portrait, which I liked. Um, and there's enough real estate on there to get everything up there. Um, I mostly used it with Apple CarPlay, so. In that sense, it was it was good. I loved all the the controls in the center console and stuff. Like really well thought out. Like here's the hard command or here's the hard controls. Here's other stuff in the screen. This is sort of an idiosyncrasy of of sync altogether. When you do something with the hard controls, it gives you the visual in the screen. And I wish you could shut that off. So like I don't. Yeah, like it'll, it'll give you the little the fan up round uh, circular scale for the volume when you turn the right. volume knob. You know, you see that right. overlaid like, on the yeah, screen. Yeah, you're turning the knob. You know, you're doing that. You don't yeah. need to right. see it. <laughs> like, it's either going to get louder or softer, right? <laughs> like, e- either way, I'm going to know. I'm going to get what I want eventually. Well, may- maybe um, when they do the next version of Sync on Android Automotive, they'll get rid of that. Or at least give the option to turn it off. Yeah. It takes a second to time out, too. So, like, if you're trying to do something else at that point, you've got to wait for it to, like, stop. And then you can... These are, I know, first world problems. We're kind of, we're complaining about pausing. But they're weirdly the things, the first world problems in a car are the things that once you buy it, you think, oh my gosh, this, this little first world problem thing makes me wish I didn't buy this car. Like that's the stuff that drives you nuts. It's the little stuff that gets you. It drives, it goes, it gets you where it needs to be. If it's a family, whatever. But if there's some little thing on the controls that you have to deal with all the time, that's the stuff that makes you not like a car. And and if you've got to live with a vehicle for several years you know, then all of a sudden those, those little irritants, you know, just like being in a relationship with, with a person, you know, (laughs) those, you know, those, those things, you know, about the way I, you know, perhaps, you know, the husband, you know, choose too loud, you know, can just drive a wife completely up the wall. (laughs) Aren't there like Edgar Allan Poe stories? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Actually it does have the 2.7 liter um, versus the three. That's right. The, the three liters in the, uh, uh, the aviator. It's not in the, uh, in the aviator. Yeah. The Nautilus. Um, either way, that nano is such a good engine. Uh, I'm always impressed by it. Uh, price wise, it's a little higher than the <clears throat> MDX, uh, wound up being, or at least starts a little higher. It's like, starts at 64, uh, 730. And I don't have the Monroney. But that's also, um, you know, the black label that you had, you know, you can get the, the select, I think, or I forget what the other trim level is that are a little more affordable. And like the black yeah. label is full on. That's a luxury vehicle. No doubt. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you're, you're really, pay, you're paying luxury car prices for a luxury car experience. And, and you're, and you're like, also getting a lot of amenities that right. like and offers yeah. to customers with that. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's still a deal in the, you could do the, um, the, the phone app and stuff to open up more functionality and you, know, you get the fanciest leather and the, the black label stuff that you don't get for the other trims. Did, did um, they black label stuff. I let like, it say that on the Monroney. Black label stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it's black label member. Did, oh, did they oh, deliver the, the Nautilus with a phone that was already paired to it so you could use use the phone no. as a key? Okay. No, they, they, didn't. they did that um, here in Michigan. Sort of two sides of the different coin, you know, um, both luxury, both performance is there, but uh, two different ways to approach it. Um, 
neither of them bad. I've quite enjoyed the last couple of weeks. So Mazda announced that they are finally bringing the MX-30 to the U.S. market starting this fall in California, California only, and then gradually through the course of 2022, expanding availability to the rest of the country. And for those that haven't been paying attention, the MX-30 is Mazda's first ever battery electric vehicle. Fully electric, um, not a hybrid, at least for the moment. We'll get to that in a second. It's kind of a sort of a crossover-ish. You know, it's, it's comparable, a little bit close, close to the size of the CX-30, uh, but actually, I think a little bit shorter, different styling, very different styling from the CX-30 or the, the Mazda 3. And it's got a relatively small battery. It's only a 33 kilowatt hour battery. Uh, and it's 144 horsepower electric motor, 200 foot pounds of torque. So it's not as powerful as, say, a Chevy Bolt. It has about half the battery capacity of a Chevy Bolt. They haven't got official EPA numbers, uh, range numbers for it yet. But based on that battery size, it's probably going to be somewhere around 125 to 130 miles of range. No pricing yet on it. So let's, or sorry, it's 35 and a half kilowatt hour. So it's probably going to be, yeah, probably going to be about 130 to 135 miles roughly. So let's start there. What do you think about Mazda launching this as their first EV? Okay, it's fine. I think they should call it the compromise. <laughs> <laughs> the Mazda compromise. Because <laughs> it seems like with the other plans that they've talked about, this is their first EV, but it's going to also the same architecture is going to support hybrids and plugins. And that's where they're going to make the volume. So this is the max battery that they can fit into this car or this platform. Right. And all the other ones are going to have smaller batteries or the rotary engine range extender, which I love, but also I I don't know if they're going to still be able to overcome the efficiency problems with the rotary. That seems like a it's an on-brand choice, but it's not necessarily the best choice. The Wankel is not efficient. It's it's great packaging, so it's tiny. So I can understand why they'd, they'd pick it. Yeah, so this is the other bit of news that came out, you know, we've been hearing about Mazda bringing back the rotary as an EV range extender for a while, for several years now. They, they got some patents a couple of years ago and this will be coming in 2022. Some, at some point after launch, um, they're going to offer a, a rotary engine as, as a range extender, you know, much like what BMW formerly did with the i3, where they, the i3 had a, about 110, 120 mile range and you could getting the optional range extender, which was basically um, a BMW motorcycle boxer <laughs> motorcycle engine mounted in the back to, that drove a generator. And they're, they're doing essentially the same thing with the MX-30. You're going to have a little rotary engine. In this case, one of the advantages, the rotary is very, very compact and power dense. And it should get better fuel economy than rotaries traditionally have because it's going to be running just set, steady state. It's not really propelling the vehicle. It's just driving a generator. You have any thoughts, Nicole? I don't know. I, I I think it's an interesting idea that they're trying to do it this way. I'm not sure that the the Mazda person, the person who's a Mazda buyer who really loves Mazdas and is all about that, is going to be that interested in it. I don't. I don't know. I I have mixed emotions about this. I'm not. I I think it's a great idea that they're trying to do something electric. I think it's a great idea with the rotor engine, but I I have giant question marks about how well it's going to be received. 
Yeah, I'll I'll agree with that. I, I'm also a little bit frustrated that it's California only. Why is it California? Because everything's California only if it's efficient. In New England, yeah. we just want to burn all the coal possible and all the oil and all the trees and destroy everything. But in California, well, we have, they want to save the planet. So they get all that stuff. We have stuff. California emissions. I thought all the New England states now have uh, California Do we? Emissions. It doesn't matter. We're still here. We're still like in, <laughs> the, in, in another country over here in the Northeast. Uh, there's a lot of well, stuff we can't, you know, can't even Cal- get here. Cal- California is the yeah. biggest market. They require manufacturers to sell a certain percentage of zero emission vehicles. And so Mazda is going to launch it there first, you know, roll it out to the other Zev states, you know, so new England and, and Colorado and other places that are following the California EV mandate are going to get it over the course of 2022. So you will get it, you know, probably within a year. Uh, yeah, but you wonder how much we're going to, because that's the thing too. And Dan can probably attest to this. Like it comes out in California. It's out in California. It's coming to you. Oh no, there's one dealer. He has one vehicle right. and he, if you want that one, you can buy it. Otherwise we can order it for you and you can have that in three and a half months. It's like, there's, yeah. we get them right. here, but we don't really get them here. <laughs> you got to commit. You got to want, want this <laughs> enough to be like, give this to, I don't care what I have to do to get my hands on this. Find one for me and bring it to New Hampshire. <laughs> but, but, but at least, you know, at least New England, you know, or at least Massachusetts, I don't know about New Hampshire. I don't think New Hampshire is a Zev state, are they? I don't think uh, we are. I don't, I don't even I know, know, honestly. I don't I know. I'm Massachusetts is and Connecticut and, and a few other states there. Um, but at least, you know, you get some of these, you know, Zev state only EVs like the Hyundai Kona and the Kia Nero EV. Um, you know, Hyundai and Kia don't offer those at all. To other states like, say, Michigan, you know, you, you cannot buy one right. of those in Michigan. You'd, you'd have to go to a Zev state to buy one and bring it back because, it, you know, we don't have a mandate here. And, and so they're just they don't even bother to offer it here. Part of the reason for that is they need to have enough batteries to, to build enough. And there's more demand for these right now in Europe. And particularly because of the, the CO2 emission standards in Europe, they, they have to sell many more electric vehicles there than they do here. And they can get them, they can get a higher price point for them there. So they're basically only shipping enough to North America to meet their regulatory requirements. And all the rest of them are going to Europe. And so that's, that's why the Zev state, only the Zev states get them. We are, and I just Googled New Hampshire. Not only are we not a Zev state, when I look it up, all I get are things about our governor, like vetoed this green bill, vetoed that green bill. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be no as I scroll through this. Yeah. <laughs> we want to chop down those old growth forests exactly. and so burn them. We are not. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I, I guess the California thing makes a little more sense when you consider uh, A, the limits on battery uh, capacity, like just battery amounts, uh, availability. And then also you're fishing where the fish are. Like that's, that's where the people who are going to buy them. You know, I think, and you're right. I get that. I get the marketing strategy behind this specific vehicle to do it that way. But I always think when they do that, I guess maybe, like you said, because of the constraints of the economy and where they get their credits, you have to, but if you want everybody to start driving those, you have to make it easier for everybody to get them at some point, you know? And I feel like a lot of people don't drive them here for very many reasons, but if you had more of them on the road, if you saw someone driving it, if you saw more of them, it lends to that, like, okay, these are a thing. They're not an anomaly. They're not weird. Oh, I didn't even know you could get something like this from Mazda. Well, I wasn't going to consider right. the Bolt, but I'll consider, you know, the awareness of them in places where they're not necessarily getting all these tax credits I think would help a lot to the adoption of them in general. Yeah. So let's talk about the car itself. 
um, which is going to have that Mazda look and feel, right? Um, they're going to have to figure out how to deal with the weight. And so that's something that I'm interested in in trying out. Um, Sam, you're probably going to be the one who gets to drive one of these <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Um, so uh, luckily, you are a Miata enthusiast, so you know what that feels like. Uh, batteries are heavy, and Mazdas typically are about sort of being nimble and light on their feet and not too much weight. So how do you think that's going to work? Well, uh, for what it's worth, you know, the, the reviews, the early reviews out of Europe have generally been very positive for this car. I, I know, you know, Mike Taylor, who he's Australian, an Australian living near Lake Como in Italy. He, he, <laughs> oh, he just had one of these a few weeks ago <laughs> and he really liked it. And most of the other reviews have been generally very positive. And it's actually, you know, like I said, it's a little bit smaller or shorter than the CX-30. In fact, it has the, uh, if you remember the RX-8 with the, uh, the rear hinged half doors, you know, it was a four door right. coupe. The MX-30 has the same layout. So the two regular front doors and then the rear, half hinged rear doors. Actually, the, the BMW i3 has that too. They call it, what do they call it here? Freestyle uh, doors? Something like that. So there's no B pillar <laughs> yeah. uh, and, or no conventional B pillar. For, you know, one of the advantages, you know, at least, you know, when you've got that weight, you know, the, the weight is all in the floor. So the the center of gravity is actually surprisingly low, even though it's a comparatively taller car than, you know, than say a Mazda 3. I think it actually should drive reasonably well, you know, and it's good in many respects, I think, you know, because of the, uh, the relatively low power output of this thing, 144 horsepower. Not that I want to compare it to a Miata, but, you know, it's going to have more of that slow car fast kind of feel to it. Obviously, you've got that instant torque from an electric motor, but it's, it's going to top out pretty quickly, but I think it should be pretty responsive. So Mazda is really emphasizing the, you know, the, the Mazda driving dynamics of this thing. And we'll just have to wait and see, you know, until we actually get our hands on it. You know, I think, but when you were saying that about the driving dynamics, you know, my expectation is going to be that they're going to do everything they can to make sure this still feels like a Mazda, because if you're getting your Mazda enthusiasts to move into this and saying, this is where the future of the brand is going on the electric electrification front. And suddenly everyone gets in and like, this doesn't feel like a Mazda. This is not, this is not a Mazda. It's lost the Mazda-ness. That's not a good thing. You've got to have this one pretty much feeling like, like it's got the zoom, zoom, they no longer say exist. You got to have that feeling or you're going to sort of alienate some of the people who love your brand in the first place. And I think you know, that's sure. part of the rationale behind going with a comparatively small battery uh, you know, a 35 kilowatt hour battery, you know, that's going to weigh somewhere in the neighborhood of about uh, probably 500 pounds, um, five, five to 600 pounds compared to, you know, close to, you know, or, or up around a thousand pounds for the battery in a Chevy Bolt. So you're talking about, you know, half the battery's weight. So it's not going to have nearly as much of a weight penalty as you might expect. You know, obviously you give that up in range, but you know, for, for the way most people drive it, you know, and especially if you live in warm weather climates and maybe this might also be part of the reason why they're launching in California first, you know, warm weather climate, you're not, you're not going to be relying on the heater as much. Um, you know, and once they get the, the rotary range extender version, you know, offer that, you know, in colder climates, you know, that, I think that's part of the rationale for the way that they configured this to, to retain as much of that Mazda, you know, driving DNA as they could. I see all those points. It just seems to me like there's no room to grow beyond 
this. You know, there's and they're saying I guess this will this will be the basis for another larger EV as well. So I it just you know, it has that sort of whiff of like a uh, compliance car, but I don't think that's what they're doing here. I think they're just trying to go about it their own own way and there there will be room for more EV choices. I think the market is actually hungry for it depending on the price and utility they can put into them. Um EVs have become a lot more popular and sort of a lot more on everybody's mind. So uh, being able to have something to offer, even if it's not quite right uh, at first, I think this is a good way to at least drive some traffic and then um, they can evolve what they're doing. So I guess we'll keep an eye on I do like the interior. The interior, the, interior the picture like, you just yeah. shared is really slick. It's like a floating center console situation. Yeah. That is and slick. And it's got yeah. like, it looks like cork because apparently Mazda- Is it cork? was a cork manufacturer like what is it toyo kogyo or kogyo yeah anyway the parent company uh, and was yeah, yeah cork cork is actually um you know really commonly used you know in more um you know for more environmental type of things because you know cork is a renewable resource basically from the, from the you can shave the cork off of cork trees you know, and it grows back. It's it's like the bark yeah. of these trees. And there's really friendly bulls that hang out under the cork trees too. Like just Ferdinand is just there chilling. Uh, sorry, <laughs> children's book <laughs> reference. I got <laughs> that. Oh, you did excellent. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's it's a it's yeah. a really interesting um, approach to the design. You know, so you've got you know this relatively small console. So it's not a full length console, but it floats and there's a little bit of a pedestal underneath to support it. And then, you know, the, a lower console area that's covered in cork, you know, underneath that, you know, so you've got some storage space. And so I think it's going to give it a more open airy feel to it. Well, that natural, natural material thing that everybody's doing with like open pore wood, mm-hmm. you know, cork is a really good choice too. Cause it's actually, you know, it's some, some sound deadening and it's going to feel warm to the touch and um, it's not going to, it's not going to rattle if you put stuff on it. It's actually going to insulate a little oh, right, bit. Right, because like you put something hard on it, you don't have that noise as you exactly. go over the box. Yeah, no, yeah. no that's cool. It's, yeah, it's soft. I the material choices are good. So I think I think once we have time to experience this car, it's going to charm us in a lot of ways. Um, sort of the nuts and bolts aspect of it makes me a little bit more skeptical, but. Moss does its own thing in its own way. I have so. faith. I have faith in them that they're yeah. going to be able to pull this off. That they would not introduce this add something and be like, well, we're going to sort of halfway it just to say we can be compliant and do it. You know, I think it'll get better going forward. The first effort's never the, you know, generally isn't the best effort when you try something new like this, but I have faith that it's going to be a decent car to drive. Well, good. Let's talk about GM now. Cause if there's anybody that gets criticized, it's GM. <laughs> nah. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, GM, <laughs> um, this week announced that they were adding, uh, an app, a cloud-based navigation app called Maps Plus that's going to be available for owners of GM vehicles from 2018 and onwards with OnStar enabled that don't have built-in navigation. So if you got a car that doesn't have an embedded nav system and you want uh, a nav system, you can now, you'll now be able to download this Maps Plus app onto your OnStar system and it, it downloads and runs to, and from the, the GM, I think it's the app shop, I think App Shop is their their branding for it. Basically, they have their own little uh, store, app store, where you can get uh, a bunch of apps that run directly on the head unit. So it's not running on your phone. Uh, it's running running locally. It's cloud-based like Google Maps or Apple Maps. So it's downloading the map data as, as you go, as you need it. And it's made by a company called Mapbox that does navigation stuff. The 
downside of this is to use it, you have to have a, a paid OnStar subscription. And, you know, it's one of three plans that are eligible for this. And you have to have at a minimum, like I think it's the, I uh, forget what they call it. Anyway, it's a $15 a month subscription um, to, you know, to OnStar. I mean, you know, you're, you're getting a lot more than just, you know, this Maps app for that $15 a month. You're getting all the other features that, that you have with OnStar. Uh, and there's a lot there, there's a, you know, and for a lot of people, I think there's real value to it, but you can be hard pressed to find people, all these cars that are eligible for this also support Android auto and Apple CarPlay. So who's going to use this if you're, you know, if you've got your phone with you and you just plug that in or, or have wireless support? I think no one, I think no one's going to use this if you put your, have your phone and because you're, you, I guess you can, you forgot your phone or something, you can use this, but it's and the $15 is just part of it. So it's included in another OnStar thing. Am I reading that right? It's not like an extra 15 bucks for the map yeah. thing. It's just yeah. so 15 if you have, for whatever if you have OnStar. A, yeah. If you have one of these OnStar plan subscriptions for, you know, there's a couple, three different plans. They're like 15, 20 and $25 a month. So it's the base one. So, so I guess you'd use it if you have it, but I feel like, I mean, who doesn't have a phone that can just do Apple CarPlay, you know, or Android Auto at this point. For those three people that don't have a compatible phone, this is I, really cool. But I guess, you know, or or you know, if you prefer to use, you know, for the voice control on this one, it's using uh, Alexa voice services. So if you prefer using Alexa as your voice interface in the car, you know, and and you've got a paid subscription. I do like Alexa better. I mean, like if I'm at home and I ask Alexa, to, I just said it and I can hear her in the kitchen trying to answer me. Um, I'm going to call it Alice. You have Alice. You can use that. It always works better than my iPhone stuff. Um, but I don't, I don't know that that would, I know that would that be a compelling reason I mean, that's to a pretty get low on bar, something that works better than Siri. Um, I know. Well, well, so I guess, yeah. so this is really what I'm questioning is like, it probably works better. Yeah than using something on your phone, uh, at least in those edge cases where your phone gives up or whatever, right? But the phone is good enough. You know, like people will use Waze uh, not only for the maps, but for like the real-time traffic and right. stuff. And so now you're you're asking them to, to change apps. Like it's, it's one of those things, like, did they consider the switching cost? Cause the switching cost here is very high. Actually, it's not just the normal idea of switching costs where you're moving from one piece of software to another, and you've got a, you know, whatever preferences and, and, uh, expertise you have with that piece of software. Now you have to either replicate or relearn. There's also like a pretty decent economic, like actual dollars whack that you have to take, uh, to to do this. And and so it integrates in the head unit of the car and it runs on that hardware, which is nice. Um, but I, I don't know. Wireless CarPlay is pretty good. It's, it's not like uh, what we, like what you're saying, Dan, it's not like what we have right now is horrible and awful and terrible, very bad, no good. And you don't want it. It, it works and it works well. So I, I yeah. feel like this is like cool. I have this for backup. If I somehow manage to walk out of the house without my phone like every yeah week. but i'm not paying 15 dollars a month for back you're, but you're, but you're, but you're but not paying 15 dollars <laughs> a month for the map you're paying 15 dollars a month for onstar so you get other OnStar, okay. uh, onstar stuff i don't know what the 15 dollars a month one but so like, like if you were already getting the onstar which i've always said if i had a gm vehicle i would do that because i think it's just the the convenience and the life-saving thing and getting someone who can help you and how well they have that is great 
I don't know if that's the $15 plan because there's all these levels, but I like OnStar as a rule. So if I don't have to pay anything extra beyond already getting OnStar, but I don't know that I would use the map. Like even if I was paying the 15, I think the maps would just be like, eh, I forgot my phone. I'll use their map thing today. I I mean, I do think that the the system is going to perform really well. You know, even if it's using the integrated uh, 4G LTE connection in the cars, typically because uh, it's got that roof mounted antenna on a large physical plane, you can get more, more gain out of the antenna. So it'll, it'll have a connection often when the devices inside won't. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's a plus if you're trying to get map data down, map data is cached in the hardware. So like, I'm sure it works better. Like and performance wise, it's probably better, but you gotta, you now have to move those users from what they like and are comfortable with to something new. Uh, and you got to have them paying for it. And would it be enough to make you like, it's like, okay, cool feature. Cause there's millions of features in every infotainment system. Right. But that'd be like cool feature that has sold me. I'm now going to purchase the GM versus the other guy. Would that ever sell you on the product or to just be like, Oh, cool. I mean, it, me no, but it <laughs> it might for some people like GM infotainment has gotten pretty good over the last couple yeah. of years. Uh, it's it's easy to use. It's pretty intuitive. It gets, it's responsive and quick. It, it, so it's it, they've done it pretty well. Uh, you know, it's, it's not in tune. <laughs> so, um, but I was just like, I, it just turned into Jeff Goldblum in, in Jurassic Park here. Like he, he, you know, you got caught up with whether you could versus whether what you, you should. should. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm looking at the the OnStar plans right now. You know, so with the paid plans, you get things like vehicle diagnostics, uh, dealer maintenance notifications, um, smart driver, which <laughs> gain insights about your driving skills that may help you maximize oh, you your performance. You pay to get annoyed. You pay. You pay for the system to bug the crap. Is this all the fifteen dollar awesome. one, Sam? Is yeah. this for the base one? Okay. Yeah. You, you also get the the voice service. Um, the uh, remote key fob, uh, so you can you can use the OnStar remote app to lock and unlock your car, flash your headlights, honk the horn, etc. Um, even when you're out of range of you know doing the you know honking the horn, you know with your with your regular key fob, you can do that through your phone because it's going through the cell network. Um, you get uh, Alexa voice services, um, vehicle location, remote personalization. So there's a, there's a bunch of other features you get. Plus, you know, things like uh, the 911 assist. You know, if you if you do get into a crash and your airbags go off, it'll automatically call 911, send your uh, send your location to emergency responders, that sort of thing. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff that you do get with with OnStar capability. And then when you step up to, you know, like the the, the higher plans, like the connected vehicle plan. Um, you get, uh, you get other features as well. Um, you can, you can also get up to, uh, um, plans where you can do the, uh, you know, if you've got a teenage kid or a young driver in your household and you want to geofence them and you want to, you want to know, you know, if they go outside this geofenced area, you can get, you know, automatic notifications of things like that. There's, there's all kinds of features that they offer as part of these various OnStar plans. So, you know, if you're, if you are subscribing to an OnStar plan, you know, this is just, this is a, an extra bonus that you get, um, you know, especially if, if you don't have nav built into the car. Um, if you're but not... See, like, if you don't have nav built into the car, like, doesn't that, isn't that sort of like, do you actually have the budget for 15 bucks a month for OnStar? Good point. Like, I, I don't yeah. know. It just seems... Yeah, because you're buying, if you don't have like, nav built into your car, you're buying the base trim of a more affordable car in the not, first place. Not necessarily no? because you, you know think? a lot of times you know the the built-in nav systems are 
they're on the more even on like the mid level trims, they're options. So you may have gotten mm-hmm. a mid level trim, decided not to spend, you know, two or three thousand dollars on the built in nav. Um, or, you know, maybe it was part of a, a, a bundled as part of a bigger package that you decided you didn't want all those other features. Uh, so, you know, there, there, I think that there's reasonable instances where that may be the case, but you, you, and you know, the other thing to consider when you, when you buy built in, when you get built in nav, if you want app updates to your, to your maps, those, there's a cost, a pretty significant cost associated with those and maps can get out of date. Right. I paid a hundred bucks for the upgrade for the, um, for the, the Uconnect in our Jeep and that's 2013 and it's a real pain to actually update it. So you got to update the OS and you got to, yeah, so, with this, you're so all, you've always got fresh, time, fresh maps. So you spent a hundred bucks. Yeah. And when was the last time you updated it? You said you have a 13. Is that you're doing that every year? Are you doing? No, no, I'm, I'm like, this is the actual, this is the 2020 upgrade. Uh, so okay. even then there's like a new one. So I went from 13 to 2020 without updating the maps yet. So that like that is a thing, but like your your phone has yeah. it. No. Yeah. And so I mean if, if you're using your phone, you probably don't need this. But you know, if you're if you are subscribing to OnStar, this is a nice cool. extra bonus. It's like I kind of feel like it's like it's cool, but it's not enough to like change what you would spend or what you would buy. You're just like, oh I have OnStar, it has this now coolness. Is it included with part of the like when you buy a new car, you get OnStar included for X amount of years? Is this included in that? Uh like- yes. So, you know, when you, when you have that, that trial period, it's, it's also part of that, I think. So that's, I mean, that's a way to get people hooked. Yeah. Let's do the questions first and then we'll hit the interview. So um, first one, Robert Grace asks, uh, I have a philosophical question for the three of you. I have an answer to this question, but I'm clearly biased (laughs) in my outlook and I want to hear your collective opinions. Well, we always have opinions. Oh, question yeah. is this. Absolutely. When do I advise a friend who is considering a new car purchase to drop all consideration of internal combustion vehicles and only buy an EV? Importantly, this discussion is limited to those friends who plan to own their vehicle for three to five years and who own their own homes or are uh, able to have an L2 charger available to them at work. So an L2 available either all day or all night or both. I believe this to be about 75% of the U.S. population, but I'm not sure. The answer is now. Or at the very least, six to 12 months from today, when there will be a... This is his answer, This is his right? answer, his yeah. answer is now? Um, right, okay. So I think that the obvious cost, obvious advantages of EVs, better driving characteristics, lower cost of operation, higher reliability, and reduced environmental impact will make them the choice of most, uh, which will rapidly drive down the resale value of used ICE vehicles probably significantly. When you factor in the massive auto manufacturers' investments, new governmental incentives, which seems likely, and the rapidly expanding charging infrastructure, my answer seems like a no-brainer. My bias is obvious. I own two EVs and have 30,000 miles of EV driving experience. What do you three think, thanks to the podcast? When do you advise someone to, to drop all consideration of ICE vehicles? I don't think anytime soon would I drop all consideration of ICE vehicles. Like, right off every single one? Like, nope, don't do any of them. You have to buy an EV. I don't know. I don't think soon. I think it's not dependent on the the availability of the charging and what the infrastructure is and the incentives, but how you drive. It, it really depends how you're driving. Like I would have an ICE vehicle and an EV right now, but I wouldn't have just EVs, me personally. So I don't think I'd say like completely ax them from your consideration. I don't know. That's pretty dramatic. Like, no, no to EV, no to any ICE. I don't think I can commit to that. Dan? I am. I, so I think it's really, it's always use case dependent. Um, 
so those are the questions that we ask anyway when somebody's talking to us about cars, right? Like, well, how are you going to use it? What's your daily commute like? What are your edge cases? You know, do you take long trips? Do you have another vehicle for that? Would you be opposed to renting um, if you needed to take a you know cross country trip and you know you needed to take the whole family, you know, rent a van or SUV or something? Um, so once you get those questions out of the way, and the charging availability is there, and your daily you know your daily miles is you know the average daily mile round trip is less than 40 miles. Yeah. Right. So I think now is the point to try to go EV. I I agree that you should probably should, at least in the back of your mind, be like, you know, that option for internal combustion is always there, but try to go EV if you can, because you're, you're just going to benefit to a degree anyway, with all the incentives he was talking about. Plus you'll never have to go to a gas station again. And who wants to go to gas stations, <laughs> right? At least the charging stations are close to stuff. The, the Mach-E I took uh, down to the, the it's at the Salmon Pond Mall is the, the closest level two, or not level two, closest uh, DC fast charge. And that's like right outside of Bertucci's. So you can go get pizza. <laughs> charge and pizza. There you go. That's the right? decision. And I am 100% joint. motivated is by pizza. Is there a pizza joint right? near your local EV charger? Then stop thinking about an ice engine altogether, yeah. you know? Absolutely, <laughs> right? That seems like a reasonable answer. Pizza. <laughs> right. Eat more pizza, use less gas. Everybody wins. Yeah. <laughs> like, go uh, ahead. No, that's I. So yeah, I think you should try if you can try to do it now. Yeah. Um, you know, but but try versus like life is too short to be absolute. See, that's it. The absolute was what got me with the question. Like, yeah. yes, I think everyone should be considering it. Most people should probably be at least looking at it, depending on their lifestyle. But like to completely yeah. say. Ice is not the way to go at all. Don't even look at it. I can't, I can't commit to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I I would agree with, with both of you uh, to, to a large degree. You know, I think you absolutely need to take a look at your, your use case, your lifestyle um, and you know, how you're using your vehicle for, for the vast majority of people that have, that live in a single family home with off street parking, you should absolutely be considering one, if not now, at least within, you know, in the 12 months from now. Because 12 months from now, there's going to be a whole lot more options than there are today. Today, the options are still fairly limited. But, you know, by the middle of next year, there's going to be a lot more that you can buy from a variety of different automakers. Um, and, you know, particularly in the the smaller, you know, small to mid-sized crossover segment, which is, you know, the increasingly the biggest segment of the, the market now. That's the kind of vehicle people want. You're going to have a whole bunch more options from Hyundai, from Kia, um, you know, from GM and, and others, you know, a year from now. So I think that if you if you are in that situation, you know, if you have a, a normal commute, you know, of less, you know, 50 miles a day or less uh, and you have off street parking where you can charge at home, you know, chargers, you can you can buy a charger, um, a, DC, a DC or an AC level two charger for about 400 bucks. Now, if you have a, a dryer outlet in your garage, you can plug that in. And in fact, a lot of new cars now are coming from the factory, like the Mach-E is an example, the Audi e-trons. They're coming, you know, the charge cable that they come with in the car has support for 240 volt charging. So if you have that that dryer outlet, that NEMA outlet in your garage, you don't even have to spend the three or 400 bucks on a charger to stick on the wall. Just use that cable and just plug it in and you're good to go. Um, so if you have you rely on street parking, you know, or you have to park somewhere else and you don't have, you know, workplace charging, 
then it becomes you know more complicated. Or you know if you are you know frequently taking long road trips, you know then it becomes more of a hassle. And you know again it depends if your road trips are greater than two hundred miles, then you probably still want to be thinking about an ICE vehicle. If your road trips are so, up to 200 miles, eh, now, you know, right. not so much. I mean, you know. And the middle ground there is still a plug-in hybrid. Yeah. yeah. So, and that, and that, is, you know. that is a very viable option for a lot of people. And, you know, um, next week I'll be talking about the Toyota RAV4 Prime, which is, you know, it's a fantastic option for customers that want to go electric but aren't quite ready to make the full jump. Um, and you know, those, those sorts of options are out there and, and they should also be considered. So yeah, I, I would agree, you know, that it's not for, not quite for everybody yet, but we're rapidly getting to that point where you probably don't want to consider, um, an ICE vehicle anymore, unless you are making the right choice in buying a Miata. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you know, an electric Miata is going to be a good time. Oh, yeah. Uh, so so let us know. That was uh, Robert Grace who wrote it. Right. So let, let us know if we uh, match up philosophically. We, I feel like we didn't disagree enough. We didn't, we didn't get any fireworks. <laughs> All right. Going. Well, maybe this one. Let's see. Uh, Lynn Lynch asks, uh, she says, good morning. Love the show and so sad Rebecca left and so happy you now have Nicole on the show. Don't get me wrong. I'm very happy for Rebecca and enjoy the, the to make ho- enjoy the make host, but I'm selfishly sad for me, the listener. Um, I think what we probably needed to do is have more shows with Rebecca and Nicole together. <laughs> Maybe some point in the future. Yeah. Uh, where would I be yeah. able to get a comprehensive rundown of current electric vehicles that are available to consumers and a rating, including Tesla, which I'll put in the mix, which I put in the mix. I'm looking to possibly get an electric vehicle for my next car in June and was uh, interested in evaluating what is currently available across all types of vehicles. I looked at the archive of the podcast and I wasn't able to find a show that fit that bill. Thanks for all your info over the past three or four years. I started listening after I heard Sam on Twit on the Leo Laporte uh, show uh, many years ago. Although I'm not a car buff like my husband, I do enjoy listening to your discussion about the different cars and auto news. Keep it up and happy to have you hit the big time. Um, so, Right? We got Nicole. We hit the yeah, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> no, that's not a joke. Yeah. I mean, none of us are next to right. oh, We finally, finally, ha- finally have a car of the year juror on the team. Um, uh, we're, we're legit now. You're legit. Uh, I legit. Oh, God. Well, you're in trouble if I've legitimized you. Just <laughs> it's been five years, by the way. Five years, Sam. Five years. Well, yeah, five years this fall. So four, about four and a half yep. years. Um, so probably the easiest, the quickest place to find what's available right now is if you go to fueleconomy.gov and we'll put a link to that that is the EPA website where they list all the 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 fuel economy uh, numbers for all the vehicles that are available for sale in the US right now and in, as part of that it also includes all the electric vehicles and you can on fueleconomy.gov there's a tab at the top um, for uh, advanced cars and fuels and if you click on that you can find in there um, let's see all electric vehicles and there is a list you, from there you can click on new electric vehicles and there's a list of everything that's available what its range is um, and uh, and you know you can then you can compare those you know click on you know, up to four of those at a time and do a comparison and that's that's probably the most comprehensive list that's out there right now um, and you know if you're looking to buy in June, 
you know, this is not going to change dramatically between now and then. We might have one or two models by more models by June, uh, but this this is basically what you've got available today. And as soon as cars um, have been certified by EPA, they get added to this list, and they they typically update this uh, this site every Thursday. So, um, you know, you can, they, they get updated within a few days after, after all the paperwork has been processed. So where do you guys go though for, um, in terms of ratings, like, uh, or car evaluations, um, that's, I think the other aspect of the question, right? Like, um, a road test or some other kind of, uh, information beyond just the, efficiency where where do you go for that well i personally go you know do a google search for nicole wakeland and electric vehicle road <laughs> test thanks <laughs> well nicole where do you go I'm trying to think, where do i go you know there's it, it's sort of i'm trying i literally was thinking like where do i go to look up ev stuff when i need to like just see what someone thinks about evs um I actually use websites that I really like. I like insideevs.com and I like um, mm. Green Car Reports has good stuff. I feel like if you're looking for overview, those are the ones that pop into my head. So I must use them a lot. Um, what about you guys? Where do you go when you're looking for EV stuff? Yeah, I wind up uh, looking at Consumer Reports um, and uh, Edmonds uh, pretty often. Um, and also, you know, just searching around, uh, seeing who has what to say. Um, yeah, and uh, green, green Car Reports is also a good choice for reviews of EVs, hybrids, plug-in hybrids. Um, and uh, Edmunds is interesting. One of the things that Edmunds has been doing quite a bit um, is you know, not just reviewing those cars, but doing real-world range tests. You know, so they have a, they've developed a, a, a drive cycle, um, you know, and they they actually just recently updated that. They, they did a real-world range test of a... Uh, Several of a whole bunch of current EVs, uh, the Mach E, the various Teslas, the Porsche Taycan, um, and and assorted others, to compare what the EPA range ratings were to the the real world evaluation, which you know is a mixed drive cycle of highway and city and suburban driving, um, and they got some real interesting results, and I'll I'll include a link to that in the show notes uh, to that that comparison test, um, so. You know, Motor Trend also does um, real-world range testing on EVs. Uh, so those, I think, you know, both of those sources for that in particular, um, Car and Driver also does some as well, um, is is an important factor because the the label EPA label values do not always correspond to how far you're actually going to be able to drive on a full charge on that vehicle, and one particular trend that uh, you may notice from all of these tests from all these different sources and the same thing is also true if you look at european sources like auto uh, autocar has also done a lot of this uh in in the uk is that uh, teslas almost invariably fall short of their epa label values by anywhere from 20 to 30 percent so teslas typically have the the highest numbers for their epa range ratings but they, they usually do not achieve those in the real world, whereas almost every other manufacturer, um, they overperform in the real world versus their official ratings. 
And in some cases, buy a significant amount like that Porsche Taycan I mentioned, you know, obviously not a mainstream product. It's a very expensive car, but, you know, it's, it's EPA rated at like 204 miles of range. But, um, you know, most of the real world range tests find that it will actually go 280 to 290 miles and sometimes as much as 300 miles or more on a full right. t- on a full charge. Um, the, uh, the Mach-E also tends to, tends to overperform, not by as much, uh, you know, like the, the all wheel drive extended range Mach-E that's rated at 270 can generally hit 300. Um, and, uh, you know, cars like the Hyundai Kona, the Kia Niro and, and others also tend to overperform, uh, by similar margins. So, uh, I'll, I'll include links to a bunch of those to look at in the show notes. You know, I have, yeah, just keep coming back. Keep coming back to wheel bearings yeah. and ask us questions. And I, you know, I have one other one I forgot. I can't believe I forgot to do a shout out to these guys. There's a site that's newer called EV Pulse. Um, and oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, Bradley Brown. Yeah, and, and guys, EV right? Pulse. EV I'm, Pulse like, yeah. I, I'm like, what is the one I'm trying to remember? And which is ridiculous because I've done contrib- contributed work to them recently. But they have reviews on Oh, there. no. They're not going to pay you no, anymore. But no, but I'm like, I'm like <laughs> what is it? I'm like, oh, duh. You, you've written stuff for them. Um, but EV Pulse has some great stuff and Stefan Ogbeck does a lot of their reviews and he gives great reviews. Like he gives like how they feel, you know, he doesn't get too bogged down in the numbers and you know, you're going to get X number of miles or this, but he really gives you a good feel for what it's like to drive these. And he's got a ton of reviews up there. And so, yeah, if you haven't checked out EV Pulse and they have, they're again, they're in a, like an EV site. So they have a lot of great information. They're worth checking out too. I will include all, right. all of those. Cool. Let's get to the interview. I had a couple of questions about the latest Chrysler Pacifica. I reached out to my friends at Stellantis and I uh, got a very nice interview with Brian Swanson, who is the chief engineer of the Pacifica and uh, Pacifica PHEV. And my biggest question, which is still danced around a little bit, was like, why haven't you just electrified the rear axle for all-wheel drive? Why did you need a drive shaft? And, and the system works really well. Don't get me wrong; like, it's a it's a pretty impressive system where uh, it detects slippage and it can it can move the power from front-wheel drive to the rear axle really quickly. And all of that stuff is good. It's good engineering. It's clever. It just made me think that maybe maybe they missed out on an opportunity. Although maybe also they maximized the um, the battery range for the plug-in by using larger batteries uh, anyway. And if they were to try to keep stow and go together with hybrid, you'd have a compromised hybrid. Well, and, wouldn't have you know, we, range, so. we may, we may yet see, you know, that all wheel drive uh, plug-in hybrid Pacifica because Stellantis has launched in Europe. They've launched plug-in hybrid versions of the Jeep compass and uh, renegade with um, you know, that, that have an electric rear axle. So, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're doing it that way already for a couple of vehicles in Europe. So maybe we'll see that get added to the Pacifica. May, I mean, see, it's in the corporate toolbox. Like yeah. I, I, as a, I, I'm not the only parent here, obviously we're all parents, but like, I just want it all when I'm buying a thing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> all of the things I can get on this, I want on this vehicle. No, well then I don't want it. <laughs> right. And I want it. I want the payment to be $250 a month, please. Like, just, but you get cool little pillows in the pinnacle, the little back. Oh, those are you nice do. pillows. Yeah. Those pillows are so no, nice. Nice quilted so leather. They're beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I like the so idea. there's a lot to the pinnacle and, and Brian was great. And he, he talked up uh, not only sort of the greasy bits underneath, but just the other stuff that you can get in the, in the Pacifica with the newest generation of uh, Uconnect and, and all of the changes they've made. So uh, it's a short interview, about 10 or 15 minutes, and we'll, we'll jump to that and uh, come back. I have a quick announcement. So don't <laughs> go away. Stay tuned. 
Well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us for the Wheel Bearings podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's always great to uh, get an opportunity to uh, to talk about our products. Why don't you start by telling uh, telling our audience who you are and um, what you do there at Stellantis? So I'm Brian Swanson. I am the chief engineer for our Pacific uh, uh, projects. So that includes both the gas and the uh, and the hybrid applications. Been with the company for about 22 years uh, through uh, various roles within engineering. So in our new 21 mile a year Pacific, uh, it's got a lot of great stuff coming in the market. So really excited to talk a little bit about that and some of the technology on the car. Yeah, it was really interesting when we got the backgrounder on it. A lot of what's going on is is going on underneath. Are there a couple of goals that were laid out uh, at the beginning of, of designing the, the 2021 Pacifica and the changes for it that left you thinking, gosh, how are we going to solve that? You know, to, to, to talk about kind of how we got where we are, um, I guess I want to take a, a step back and just talk a little bit on um, specifically about the 21 model year and kind of the mission of that particular vehicle, right? So we launched the original Pacifica in 17. And uh, just about since we launched that car, we had customers calling us and asking us, you know, hey, I love it. It's great. I love all the features on it, the stow and go. Love everything about it. But when can I get an all-wheel drive? And we heard that message pretty strong from all over uh, the country, specifically, you know, in the uh, in the Midwest, in the, in the uh, you know, kind of high snowfall regions, if you will, right? Um, what, uh, what's really interesting about that, though, was back when we initially concepted the car um, in 17, we kind of always knew that that all-wheel drive would be an opportunity. Um, so we kind of tasked our packaging engineering department with, hey, um, you guys got to package me you got to package protect for all wheel drive. We know customers are out there that are probably going to want it. Um, but you also got to make it work with stow and go. And that was kind of uh, um, kind of a big challenge for them. So we ended up growing the car about 38 millimeters width wise from the exit van. Um, and that allowed us to actually accommodate um, the three piece uh, drive shaft that runs the length of the car and keep kind of one of our most coveted features, which is stow and go. So, you know, in 21, we're, we're bringing not only all wheel drive, but a van that, uh, that also has that, uh, that stow and go feature. So it's one of the things that, uh, that we're really excited about. Um, and you had mentioned a lot going on underneath and, and it's not only underneath really inside. So for 21 model year Pacifica, you know, we're one of the first um, vehicles within Stellantis to offer our new Uconnect 5 system. Um, and it's really uh, an awesome system. If you haven't had an opportunity uh, to experience it yet, um, it, uh, it provides customizable driver profiles. Uh, and I'm not just talking about like radio presets. I, right. I often tell people, I often tell people my, uh, my wife and I have shared a minivan for about 17 years. It's her daily driver. I get to drive it occasionally on the weekends. And <laughs> so you have your settings at the number two button on the door, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're with me. <laughs> but when, one of the things that's really frustrating, right? Because you get when you're in your daily, right? You know where everything's at, and you kind of know where all those great features are. And it's, it's like that five minutes or so that you get in and you're kind of like reacclimating yourself. You're like, all right, how do I turn on the heated seats in here? And how do I do all that? The, uh, these customizable driver profiles are awesome. You can go in, 
You can build pages within the uh, the head unit that allows uh, the customer to put all those features that they want right on the front screen. Um, and you can just, it's kind of like you just you can jump in and go. And uh, uh, it's, it's really great. It's, um, it's bringing wireless Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, all of the um, uh, Alexa capabilities that you have uh, at home on your Android. Um, that's all in the van. Um, it's great. I mean, you can you can start the vehicle, lock, unlock the doors all from your home. Um, just a lot of really really cool tech that's uh, that's in that UConnect Five system. Yeah, I remember getting the um, the backgrounder on that earlier in um, 2020 as well, and it was just the amount of thought that went into it was pretty impressive. And and so that right now, uh, UConnect Five is on what it's on the Pacifica, but it's also on the Ram. It hasn't hasn't started to filter out into other vehicles just yet, right? It's on those those two though. Yeah, so right right now it's uh it's on Pacifica and it's on our uh, on our Durango as well. Durango, okay. And you'll see that um that system come into uh the rest of our uh, portfolio here pretty shortly. Yeah, it's pretty slick and I re- I was really impressed with the um there's like the app marketplace for it too as well, right? Where you can you can add different functionality to the car yeah. via subscription model yeah. or just download it. Yeah. It's really cool. The, uh, the amount of connectivity now, right. That we're starting to see, um, in the vehicles as well as, you know, some of the customizability, right. So like even on our van, on our, on our 21 mile year Pacifica, we have a, a feature called FamCam, and, uh, mm. it's a, um, it's a, uh, video feed that's mounted up in the headliner that allows the driver a 360 kind of bird's eye view of the cabin. And what's really unique about it is um, you can, based on how we have the camera positioned, you can see into a rear facing infancy um, in the second row. And I know when I was, uh, when I was a young father, you know, it's like you put that rear facing infancy in the back and you're always wondering like, what is going on? Is he up? Is he awake? Is he sleeping? Right push of a button on the radio head, you can kind of check in and see how things are going. And that's, you know, just one of those cool little things that right now um, is only offered on the Pacifica. Um, and, and that's kind of some of the customized uh, customization that's uh, a system like that is often. So it's yeah. really cool. I mean, you guys must get all the parents sort of together and just saying, what is it that you want? What, what, do, you, what do you want in a car? Like, how do you focus group that even just among yourselves to just figure out the features that you want to try to roll out? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. It's, you know, obviously a lot of uh, young parents, you know, you go out and do clinics and stuff, but not only that, you know, it's uh, the segment is such that, you know, really, if you think about it, a lot of our customers are, are younger children, right? The kids that, that end up sitting in the second and third rows, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, a very unique segment and, and being out, being able to go out and get those customer voices and understand, you know, really um, what their expectations are and what they want to see, you know, connectivity, I guess is kind of paramount and everyone's got their own um, phone, if you will. And, and they want to be able to connect and do all those things. But, you know, even with that, there's always that, that portion that either forgets that at home or, you know, perhaps is too young to have a phone. So, you know, we offer a Uconnect theater. Um, in 21, we have four new games that uh, that are coming in for that. Um, we're adding Concentration, Chess, Backend, and Chrysler Says, which is kind of like a Simon clone. Um, 
and that gets added to the nine existing games. So, I mean, we have tons of entertainment um, for those second row passengers um, and just kind of all those creature comforts. You know, yeah, that, and the uh, games, you know, it's, it's so funny. Um, it, it, it's hilarious to me to talk to my kids about what they like in the vehicles uh, that I get to, to review on a regular basis. And they love vans. First of all, I think part of it is because they can see out of them so well. But um, yeah. the games in the Chrysler systems or the, the, you know, the, the earlier, even the earlier Pacifica has mm. ruined them for any other van. <laughs> my, my, uh, I forget which competitor it was, but my, my son got in and he was like, oh, there's no games in here. <laughs> I was like, no, not in this van, buddy. So that's, that's really cool that it's offered. And I think it, it's, um, it, it, that's kind of like a, a growth area you can even start to, to partner with other game publishers you can pac-man on there or something you know you talk about games i know my kids will uh um they'll go in and plug in their xbox right, right. and it's like the exponential growth of technology and how quickly it's arriving um not only in your home but now into the vehicles you know it's it, this is an exciting time to be in the industry absolutely so let's get so, back to the greasy parts for a sec um you had mentioned package protect uh can you just give me like the real quick I, summary of what that what what that practice is? What does that what does that actually mean? What, what I mean by that is we wanted to make sure when they did all of the packaging for say kind of all of the hard points or all of the pieces um, and all of the things on the vehicle that would be very difficult to change, we wanted to just carve out kind of a space, if you will, of where we thought that this system would have to go, right? Such that when you know when and if we got we're allowed the opportunity to execute, we didn't have to go back and you know retool the assembly plan, if you will, or retool significant portions uh, of the vehicle. So you know to to get the all-wheel drive system in there, uh, we launched the car already wider. The space was kind of there. Really simply, all we had to do we had to make some minor modifications uh, to the front and the cradle. Um, we modified the fuel tank a little bit, had to re do a little bit of exhaust rerouting, but there were no like major monuments that uh, would make uh, it very difficult to uh, to put that all-wheel drive system in there. Right. So really the body and white stays the same and just the, some of the pieces you're bolting into it are, are different. Yep, absolutely. So with the all-wheel drive, you can get all-wheel drive with stow and go and you can get hybrid, but you can't get them together. And part of that is because the stone go goes where the batteries go uh, for the hybrid, but um, it's also a mechanical all-wheel drive system. Uh, can you talk about maybe the choices you you had to make? You know, maybe considering something like an electrified rear axle versus mechanical all-wheel drive that would have given you some capability, some some electrification capability and all-wheel drive together, and and kept so and go. When we started to look at it, kind of the first application that kind of made sense to us was just going after the gas. The plug-in hybrid, like you had mentioned, just makes uh, just makes the adaptation that much more uh, of a challenge when you have a, uh, a mechanical system that's uh, architected like what we have on our gas application. So, of course, with the system that we have right now, we weren't able to execute that on our on our hybrid. So, who knows what the future will hold? But right now, we only offer it on our uh, on our gas applications. Sure, sure. And it was just, um, you know, I, if you were to try to keep all of those features together, I'm assuming the hybrid function would, would suffer because if you've got stow and go, there's not really anywhere really for the batteries to go. So you, you've got a much smaller battery at that point. So you, you hurt your 
um, hybrid capability as well. I just it was interesting to me seeing how other automakers will do like um, through the road hybrids. I just didn't know what what maybe conversations had happened to arrive at the the V6 with all wheel drive uh, combo versus uh, some other um, system. So yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at the launch cadence, though, we launched the gas right. The hybrid came after. You know, it's, I, I would say it's more of an evolution. I, nobody's going to complain. I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, yeah, that it does it does yeah. so many miles off the battery. I think that's great. Yeah, our plug-in hybrid is really, um, it's been great. The customers love it in the field. I think it's an awesome uh, package. I mean, if you think about it, right, our research showed that, uh, you know, an average customer's uh, um, daily drive cycle is about 30 miles. Our plug-in hybrid gets 32 uh, on all electric, right? So you can technically run around uh, uh, in electric mode only and not burn a drop of gas, you know, for, you know, a good chunk of the of the population that's out there. Um, and then, you know, if if it's needed, right, um, you can supplement with the gas powertrain, right, and, and combined it gets 520 miles of range. You don't have the range anxiety that, uh, that exists with a full BEV. You know, there's, there's just a lot of... Uh, a lot of really good things that make Star P have a uh, a great package, especially for younger families where you know you don't want to have a carload of people and oh my goodness, am I going to make it to the next right. uh, charging? <laughs> right, and then and then the wait at the charging station and everybody's schedule. The the longer range battery vehicles are great. That unexpected family thing, I've I've dealt with it myself. It's kind of uh, sometimes it's just nice to have a little insurance. Um, you know, you, like you said, you can cover your daily range pretty, pretty well, at least for the average driver and cost wise, it's in that range of affordability that some of the most prominent EVs aren't. Um, so what compromises had to be made along the way? Cause cost certainly plays a much bigger role in something like a Pacifica or, you know, family vehicle than say, uh, you know, uh, a Ram TRX or, you know, just something that, that is, you know, closer to $80,000 versus, you know, 50 at the top end. So. And we'll see as the, um, as the industry evolves and the technology gets better, right. We'll see some of those costs come down. So, you know, and I, and I think that's obviously a little bit why, um, you know, the, the EV um, kind of stuff is just starting to ramp up. Right. So that'll help out with economies of scale, but, but absolutely. I mean, I'm trying to think off the top of my head if if there was um, one or two things that uh, that I would say we had to we had to go after or um, really investigate when we when we went about it. Um, there's really nothing off the top of my head that uh, that I could think of, but you know I I completely understand kind of where you're coming from. Many vans don't. They're they're not really seen necessarily as a, a hotbed of engineering um, uh, innovation, but there's a lot lot going on. Um, and and so, what are your plans? I, th- I guess going forward, what can we expect uh, to see as the model evolves? You know, and and the the next iteration. I you know what 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 can you tease us with? You don't always um, let us talk about future uh, <laughs> uh, projects, but, but I guess I'll talk in generalities, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Stay general. Don't get yourself in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on in the industry, right? Relative to EVs, you got autonomy, you got all kinds of stuff that, that's out there. Whether or not it shows up um, uh, in a future Pacifica is yet to yet to be defined. But uh, you know, I think you know it's it's a um, like I had mentioned before, it's a pretty exciting time to be 
you know, in the industry. And, um, you know, the, um, I agree with you, the van, I, I kind of chuckled back there. You were talking about the range thing with the, um, with the family. And, you know, I've been in, uh, uh, I've been in a couple of competitor vehicles and, uh, and kind of experienced similar, you know, with the full bev and you're like, Oh boy, am I, am I going to make it or not? Right. right. So, I'm, I'm really hoping as, as the uh, battery technology gets better, right, and we're able to, uh, you know, improve upon, you know, how quickly we can do some of the charging activities, um, that we'll start to see some of those benefits from um, show up in, um, in the vehicles. Yeah, and, and battery tech is hopefully going to continue to evolve, too, so we can pack more range into the same space. So is there a challenge to, to educate people with that? Like, when they see that the, the plug-in... Pacifica will do 30 something miles electric only. That's really good, but then it it pales in comparison to something like a, a Model X that is all electric and does hundreds of miles. But to to make that argument to say you really only need 30 something most of the time. So I think that's a fair point. And uh but I think, you know, one thing that uh at least that I'm seeing is, you know, a lot of the uh the EV, you know, any of the electrified applications the customers are just really much more into the tech right and uh so i don't training so much uh, is required because it's it's kind of a different customer they're they're kind of out there they're really digging into you know kind of the guts and the technology that their car has um so i think it's a very it's a much more informed customer um now when you're trying to get a conquest though right you got somebody who's in a uh, in a gas van and you want to put them in a in a PHEV, you know, there's some really cool features like um, cabin conditioning, right? Where you can actually, when the car's, when the van's plugged in charging, you can, you know, set um, times to condition the cabin, right? And it's almost like a, it's a remote start for the, for the plug-in hybrid, right? So if you live in a, in a cold climate, right, you can say, hey, you know, it, uh, I, I leave to go to work at 7 a.m., start heating up the cabin at 6.30 in the morning, right? Or you know, so it's ready to go. I think it's subtle features like that that <clears throat> that probably require a little bit more of the the training, if you will, um, more so than the um, uh, you know the plug-in portion, if you will. At least in my opinion. But, yeah, yeah. But once people learn about that stuff too, they they love it. They evangelize. Hey, look at this cool thing my uh, my car can do now. So, I, I mean, I, I oh, wish yeah. I had all that stuff on my gas car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and that. And that you know that's some of the cool things, right? That that will start to get a lot of people interested in in coming over and uh, you know and being an what I'll call an early adopter, right? Because I think we're we're just seeing the you know the beginning of kind of you know that move, obviously over um, towards electrification. But um, you know you're you're absolutely right. It'll be cool little features like that that people you know find out, wake up one morning and go, man, I can't live without. That. All right. So last question. Uh, we'll move to the engine bay, um, you know, staying with the hybrid for a moment. Was there ever a consideration to swap the V6 for a smaller, more efficient four-cylinder, uh, kind of use the electric motor to fill in the, the performance gap, you know, to make it even more fuel efficient? And, and maybe why was that or wasn't that considered? When you're going through and in, uh, in concepting vehicles you're going to take a look at all the different possibilities and different combinations that, that are out there obviously right and uh at the end of the day when we looked at um you know kind of pulling the the package together um 
it just made a little bit more sense to us with the vehicle that we had, um, you know, to keep that 3.6. Uh, and it's slightly modified, right? We're running an Atkinson cycle on that um, motor. So you're, you're picking up, uh, you know, some subtle improvements or some pretty significant improvements uh, in efficiency, you know, and, and we let the electric motors kind of pick up the, um, um, the bottom end, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, uh, absolutely, you know, it's, it, it's interesting to see again, where, uh, um, where the industry's kind of move into that smaller four cylinder, you know, application and, and, uh, you know, what's going on there. But with our, with the current offering that we have right now, that was, uh, kind of the, when we looked at uh, all the data, that was just the one that made sense to us. So. Well, all right. Well, so I think I have run through our uh, our list of questions, and um, I will put it into the next uh, episode of Wheelbanks. I really, I just wanted to say thanks for for taking the time to to chat Pacifica with us. Um, and you know, uh, hopefully, I get the chance to to try one out soon. I haven't seen one in the fleet in a little bit, so we've got to check out. Uh, I'm going to recommend <clears throat> I'm going to recommend one or two, and um, we'll see what we can get you in. So. 21, we have uh, a new model. Our new high-end model is the Pinnacle. I don't know yes. if you've heard about it. Yeah, I, I love the quilted um, pillows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the, uh, yep, absolutely. It's got the quilted pillows. It's got the, um, um, the unique um, Napa leather. Uh, I think they call it caramel. It's got the plush second row seats like you have in a, um, uh, in a hybrid, right? Um, so it doesn't have snow and go. But um but that's a suede headliner. I mean, it's it's like the epitome of luxury in a van. It's a really cool one to check out. But I'll tell you, the one I've sold the most of, and a lot of people haven't heard about it, um, but, it but it seems like everyone I talk to uh, ends up getting one. And matter of fact, I got one in my driveway right, right now is the uh, our Red S model. Have you heard of the Red S? I have. That's the one that Ezra Dyer uh, just wrote about in Car and Driver. Um, so. Yeah. He gave yep. you guys a nice plug. Right I talked to him right before he bought it and told him, I was like, hey, you got to go check out the Red S. That's awesome. <laughs> and I was laughing because I, I saw his article and said, hey, I sold him that car. But, uh, oh, it is, it is so cool. Every time I take that van somewhere, people are just like, oh, my God, what? is this custom? I'm like, nope, it comes through the factory just like it, just like this. So it's um, it's cool how uh, – you know the the van segment, and I and I listened in a little bit on your uh, um, January podcast just to get a flavor for the um, um, for the show, right? And, okay. and Sam was talking his experience with the car, and and you guys had made a lot of comments about um, you know everyone loves the minivan, right? It's it's kind of an awesome vehicle, but no one wants one, right? And it's just it's it's kind of funny to see um, not only that like small customization stuff that's now kind of even coming out of um, uh, the factory, but even the little like grassroots stuff that's going on. Um, there's clubs out there specifically like out West. If you look um van culture is one of them, but yep. you know, there's a lot of people that are really, really interested um, in the segment and customization in the segment. So who knows what, uh, um, where that goes, but it's just kind of one of the really cool things that, uh, you know, you, you, you just kind of step back and look at it and go, you know, it's an interesting segment to play in, but then to see what, uh, what people do with them is pretty, uh, is actually really cool. Yeah. So, it's, I would love to see sort of a plot of how passionate the owners are because there's really like that van culture thing is, is definitely, 
happening. And I think part of it too is there's a whole generation of us that grew up with the minivan. You know, we, we were born right around the same time as that original caravan hit the market. And or, or, oh, you yeah. know, I, was, I think I was five or six. Uh, and, and so it, it just, it's been a part of our culture. Our, one of the first cars we remember as kids might've been um, a caravan or a Voyager or, or something. And, that, and now yeah. uh, you know, SUVs and crossovers have been the thing for a decade plus. We want something different. And the van gives you that car-like driving experience with all of the space inside of a full-size SUV. You know, there, there really are that most practical uh, solution. And so we fight with ourselves, I think, a little bit. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. it's it's cool, but wow. it's also got that, like, uncool to it as well, which, I, I don't know. Um, that's that's us to figure out. Yeah. That's not the van. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's definitely a dichotomy, right? I, I'll leave you with this, though, because I thought this was kind of funny. So one of my close friends sent me a um sent me a text the other day and it was um it was a post on twitter from some guy and his comment was the kids who drove minivans in high school are now the backbone of our society Announcement wise, we have a couple of changes for the show. I know we just put everybody through uh, the changes with um, Rebecca leaving and Nicole joining. Uh, So I now need to make everybody sad. I've taken a position at Ford. And so my role with the podcast needs to change. But it's not as tragic as you may worry. I'm still going to try to be a part of the show. And as much as I know, uh, you know, the, as much as I know, everyone else wants to hear what I have to say. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to uh, add another third host. Uh, and Sam, you lined up uh, Robbie Baldwin. Yep, uh, um, Roberto he, Baldwin, formerly of uh, Car and Driver and Engadget and assorted other places, and is now uh, freelancing. Has agreed to uh, join us starting next week. So we're really looking forward to having somebody tall on the show. <laughs> 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 and he plays guitar really he, well. He does. So there's that. He's, he's in a bunch um, of bands. Do, so, uh, so is he going to do right? like intro music for the show now? Will we have him just? That would be that, awesome. I think he should just play that a little guitar at the beginning of every show. Here we go. I have no complaints. <laughs> I'm I'm still going to maintain a role in in assembling the show, and uh, you know it's an opportunity for us to uh, bolster the content on our site. Uh, we we did solicit some some folks for Wheelbearings.media, uh, and so now that I've gotten through the intense two weeks of leaving one place and preparing to start at another, I'm going to put my attention toward opening up our platform for people who want to scratch that automotive journalism itch. So we'd love to have people contribute to they us. They have ointments uh, for that hit us up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We are a salve for the, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what the email is pitches at wheelbearings.media if you wanted to to pitch us and see. We have a tiny little budget for now, um, which is made possible by you, our listeners. You should be on PBS. PBS P- right? I was, or uh, public or <laughs> NPR. possible by you, our listeners. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> but we're not underwritten by like the Koch brothers. Either, <laughs> That's <now>. true. <laughs> But, uh, you know, our budget is small. It's made possible by our, our excellent audience. And I'm, we want to have more contributions. So uh, let's build a scrappy thing together. I am going to try to, to come back. My role will evolve as I go through ethics review. So stay tuned for that. Um, I need to step away for a little while to, just to make sure I get the okay uh, to do it. Uh, so I'm disappointed to have to back off. After podcasting for 15 years. Wow. 15 years. Wow. Like I was part of the first wave of podcasts. The early right? podcasters. Look at you. And now you're going right. to work for um, Ford. 
which has nothing to do with why why Dan was driving so many Fords over the last couple of months. No. It was just a I actually incident. asked about that, um, and that's um, it's uh, mostly due to our wonderful New England fleet person uh, Rhonda, um, and she just kept us stocked up with everything. She here did in New England. She did great, uh, and so yeah, she's she's awesome. Um, I'm not in a product role at Ford, so. There's that as well, but uh, you know, if if you if you're an Ford employee, you'll probably continue to hear from me. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, I will see everybody when I get back. <laughs> We're gonna miss you, Dan. It's been, uh, it's been yeah, a blast. Yeah, it was a fun, you know, like half minute that I podcasted with you. <laughs> I think I think I think you you and I forever. started um, doing the the Autoblog podcast together in early 2008 when we revived it after it was on hiatus for a yeah. while. And that's right, they killed it, and we were like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, Neff and John Neff and uh, Alex and um, Damon Laverance, you know, put it on hiatus. Um, and uh, you and um, Chris Schunk Chris and Schunk. I um, yeah. convinced them to bring it back. Said, we'll do it. Yeah, we said we do. We were like, we'll do it for the normal post rate. You don't even have to pay us extra. <laughs> we built that podcast. That podcast had hundreds of thousands of listeners every month. Part of it was, you know, AOL juice. You know, we were part of that first wave of podcasting. And, and so it's really interesting to see where the industry has evolved, especially in the last five years where big money has flooded in. And it's uh, there's a lot of great content out there. And uh, I, I think that uh, we're going to chase down uh, more opportunity for, for content for wheel bearings. So. All right. Yeah. I'll well, we'll talk to you all Thanks next sad. week. Bye. Bye. Bye.